0: Well, a good Monday morning to you and welcome to Real Talk. I'm Ryan Jesperson Uh, on this January 18th. A big show coming up, uh, as you may have read, if you follow me on Twitter, if you follow me, if you check out my Insta stories on Instagram every morning, you know that we have a jam packed show. It was was already going to be busy. Uh, We were hitting this Monday morning, uh, hitting the ground running, that is, uh, with uh, the likes of of Andrew Leach Uh, looking forward to a conversation with uh, Andrew uh, economist and energy economist out of the University of Alberta and Martin Olshinsky a a professor out of the University of Calgary's law school uh, an expert in environmental and natural resource law we're going to talk about that Allen inquiry they're calling it you know this one the the three and a half million dollar inquiry into into uh, anti-Alberta foreign influence or or, or foreign efforts to to uh, further an anti-Alberta uh, an anti-energy agenda the the report has been delayed and delayed it's received more cash and it's it's just come out reports last week that some of the work that is being commissioned um, quite frankly is garbage uh, and super shady and uh, is is a whole bunch of, of climate change denial and uh, well basically Uh, It was something that was and is uh, worth our attention. But here's the deal. Uh, News develops, as you know, uh, over a number of days, especially over the weekend, it seems when we're not with you here live every morning at 830 Mountain Time. And that includes some speculation uh, and and some reports, including reporting by the CBC that President-elect Joe Biden, when he's inaugurated on Wednesday, that's this week, that's coming up in just a couple of days. One of his first orders of business is going to be to kill the Keystone XL pipeline, to kill KXL. Obviously, devastating news for Canada and, uh, well, Alberta. Is there any jurisdiction in the world? The answer is no. No that'll be more devastated by this than alberta no uh number one because of a lack of access what it'll do to access to markets i'm not going to spend all my time talking to you about this we have experts lined up um i'm very much looking forward uh to our conversation coming up just after 9 30 as well with, with with an expert on kxl and and, and you're not going to want to miss uh this conversation we're going to get into the specifics of of you know what this means for alberta what this means for a legal challenge being promised by by premier jason kenney but uh I mean, really, when it all comes down to it, Kristen van de Biesenbos out of the uh, University of Calgary Law School, as well, the Haskane School of Business, an expert in energy law, will join us just around 930 to talk about this. I probably don't have to remind you because it's all over social media and everybody's talking about the fact that the Alberta government put a bunch of money into this. It was it was a bold bet. Uh, It was a bet uh, at a time of great uncertainty. And some of you will say, well, yeah, that's where I've made my fortune or that's when I've done really well. uh, You know, when I I I doubled down on 11 or or I put my whole stack on double zeros at the roulette table in Vegas at a time, a time of great challenge when it looked like all the odds were against me. And boom, now I won 15 grand. and, And and who's the fool now? There are those moments. There are those moments. Uh, the Alberta government a while back we don't know what gave uh, Jason Kenny the impetus to do this we don't know why he thought it was a good idea but the government of Alberta invested about a billion and a half dollars in case you ever lose your perspective on that that's that's 1500 million to put it into perspective sometimes i think it's important to remind ourselves that 1.5 billion is a lot of money and loan guaranteed a lot of other money up to up to about 7 billion dollars now thankfully a lot of that, my understanding is, 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 was to loan guarantee or back pipeline construction stateside that may not yet have happened. So, if Biden kills this pipeline, which, by the way, nobody here—well, I won't speak for Sam Brooks, but I'll tell you, this—the host of this show is not celebrating the killing of Keystone XL. This is not a good day. It's not a. It's not an opportunity to gloat. It wasn't the type of thing I think over the weekend where where a lot of people. I mean, there are people that obviously wanted to see Keystone XL killed make no mistake. There are people that don't believe that that we should be adding to any pipeline infrastructure. There are people that don't believe that this is the right play. There are people that believe that we should be building pipelines uh, to eastern Canada instead of down south to Texas. There are a lot of different opinions on this, and, and we've heard many of them over the past number of years. This has been a this has been an ongoing story under President Obama. Would it get built? Trump promised to build it. Everybody thought it was great. Uh, Here in Alberta, not everybody, some people in Alberta thought it was great when Donald Trump got elected because he's going to make Keystone happen. Well, here we are in 2021, and it it looks like 46. It looks like the incoming president of the United States. It looks like president elect Joe Biden's going to make this one of his first orders of business to kill Keystone. So the Alberta government is on the hook for some big dough. And by the Alberta government, I mean Albertans. Uh, if you're tuned in from Alberta this morning, that's 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 me. That's you. And a lot of people are upset about this. Now, Alberta's premier will speak to this around 10 o'clock today. Call it 1045. We'll see what time he shows up. And a lot of people are probably going to be expecting some answers here on what Premier Kenny expects to do about this. He says he's, he's talking big. He's talking with bravado this morning, uh, talking about exercising every legal avenue alongside Trans Canada. Uh, to hold the Americans to account on this. Uh, I don't know if that's an inflated sense of self. I don't know if that's realistic. Uh, we're going to ask Kristen van de Biesenbos what chance Alberta has uh, in this legal fight. I saw this morning, and I'm not sure if I want to call this shade or not, throwing shade, but it's interesting to hear from uh, former infrastructure minister Amarjeet Sohi on this, who tweeted, It's sad to hear the possible bad news on the Keystone XL pipeline, he says, I'm so glad that we purchased Trans Mountain TMX and did the hard work to accommodate indigenous communities concerns. TMX is now under construction, creating thousands of jobs for energy sector workers. It's kind of throwing shade, isn't it? I don't think that Emergeet, so he's throwing a party and popping bottles that Keystone XL is getting canceled, but it does, to a certain degree, look uh, or maybe prompt people to look favorably upon the federal government for buying into this other pipeline i saw somebody tweet over the weekend you know get this they said you know what's going to drive alberta's premier most crazy is that justin trudeau bought into a pipeline and it's getting built jason kenny bought into a pipeline it's getting killed and that's a fact now it's not good for alberta it's not good for energy sector workers it's not good for market access so what does this all mean? We're going to get into this in just a moment. Kevin Van Tegen will lead us off this morning. He's one of the the very few to be already making his return to real talk. He joined us a while back. We were talking about matters of the environment. Well, over the weekend, Kevin, former superintendent of Banff National Park, so I dare you to tell me doesn't know what he's talking about, decided to take a hike, literally. And he hiked into some some backcountry areas. I'm not going to tell the story. He is where coal mining's going on. Coal mining in the Rockies, just like we've been talking about on the eastern slopes. Boy, have we blown the doors off that conversation last week. Boy, are a lot of people talking about that now. I checked in again uh, off air, obviously, with Corb Lund over the weekend. I, I said to him, did you ever think this was going to happen with with Paul Brandt coming forward and Terry Clark coming forward, and it's turning into the, the who's who of country music in Canada coming forward here to speak out against this plan. He said, well, I suspected it might put it on people's radar, but but boy, oh boy, w- what an outpouring of, of support for protecting Alberta's parkland, for protecting Alberta's wilderness. We saw one, I tweeted about this, if you follow me over the weekend, one of the um, uh, you know the, the petitions that's out there has more than 75,000 signatures already. That's a lot. That's a lot for a petition to stop the Alberta government's plan to grant access to some some pretty environmentally sensitive areas for coal mining. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Of course, all of these conversations are made possible by our team of builders. And that includes our presenting sponsor, Bitcoin Solutions. What what a wild past few months it's been for cryptocurrency specifically bitcoin if you're looking to make sense of it you want to make sure that you don't miss the boat but you also want to make sure you don't buy high and well we all know how that goes talk to the team at bitcoin well bitcoin well formerly known as bitcoin solutions is doing great work making it easy for you to understand buy and sell bitcoin you can find bitcoin well online under the sponsors tab at ryan real talk starts right now
1: Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: All right. Well, as mentioned, uh, Kevin Van Tiggum is uh, the author of a column that I read all the time. I don't miss it in Alberta Views magazine. He's he's written like closing in on 20 books. The former superintendent of Banff National Park took a hike this weekend, and, and uh, he's being kind enough to join us. My understanding is on his days off, on his off hours, uh, Kevin, welcome back to Real Talk, and thanks for being here this morning. We appreciate it. I think you might be on mute, which actually gives me an opportunity to use this, Sam, doesn't it? I've been, I've been wanting to use these for a while. You're on, you're on mute. So we can get it. Okay, I'm off now. There we go. Hey, so you're, you're at the cabin. I can tell you're in a vehicle. Did you drive somewhere to get enough reception to talk to us? Is that what's going on right now?
2: Yeah, I had to go up to the top of a hill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so where are you exactly, Kevin?
2: Uh, well, currently I'm sitting right by the Old Man Reservoir. So I'm down in the, um, in the, uh, in the Old Man Country there.
0: Now, this is where you went hiking uh, over the weekend. You've been kind enough to supply us uh, some of the photos. We'll be showing these as you tell us the story. But but what was the impetus? I mean, besides getting out and filling your lungs with mountain air, what was your plan this weekend?
2: Well, I, I've been hearing about all of these uh, leases that the government had, had issued since uh, removing the coal policy uh, in these critical areas. And I thought, well, um you know, we're not able to do much during a pandemic, but you should be able to go for a walk. So I decided to go out and uh, drive up to the upper Old Man River and check out um, Cabin Ridge and see what was happening there. Uh, that's That's got uh, a number of leases uh, that, that interact with it. Um, what I didn't realize was that the, um, or I guess I'd forgotten, was that the forestry trunk road is closed at Dutch Creek, which is a uh, one of the big tributaries of the Old Man up in the headwaters there. And so I couldn't get to where I couldn't get to the base of Cabin Ridge. um, But I'd driven all that way. So I decided I would just park at the gate and walk. Um, Pretty boring walking up the forestry drunk road, but uh, it was very nicely plowed. There's obviously a lot of industry up there, even if the public isn't there. And uh, it was, uh, I think, about five kilometers before I could see any um, sign of coal at all up on the mountaintop. And then um, uh, another, another, Four kilometers or so before I got to where um, Atrum Resources has has built a new ex- exploration road, going up onto Cabin Ridge. It sort of zigzags up the ridge and zigzags down the ridge. Uh, and um, hard to see right now because of all the snow. And they haven't been working in the in the winter, so they haven't left tracks on their on their road. But you could see where this new bulldozed road went up the hill. Uh, uh, the very first slope drains right into a little trout stream, and um, there's a gate there. And uh, I didn't go any further because um, on our public land, there was a no trespassing sign telling me not to. Um, I, I did walk past the no trespassing sign to get a couple of pictures of that bridge. But um, uh, apparently, we Albertans aren't welcome there anymore. Only the Australian coal companies are until they finish detecting how much uh, coal uh, to propose to mine up there.
0: So, Kevin, you, you, you've mentioned a couple things, uh, you know, forestry trunk roads and, and uh, you know, land uh, sort of like access roads, which is, is nothing new. And people that are familiar with with crown land and those types of things, obviously, a lot of the forestry, probably some of the work that you've done in the past. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, has been done with access from roads like this. You touched on a slope, obviously draining into a stream uh, ostensibly. Um, what did you see specifically so we can cut right to the chase that that concerned you from an environmental standpoint?
2: Well, unfortunately because I had to walk so far I couldn't get up onto the top of the ridge to really see much um, but from the b- road I could see one one spot where uh, bulldoze track came around the, the shoulder of the mountain and then there's a big gouge taken out of the base of a cliff and uh, and you could see the exposed coal there and then downwind from that because it's windy country there was there was uh, coal dust all over the snow where it had blown out of the um, out of the excavation now I don't know whether that was part of the ex- the um, exploration that that um, was doing or somebody else but it was it indicates where that coal is it, it, it lies in beds underneath the rocks that form the top of that ridge so to get at it the top of that ridge has to come off and you can see the the scale that we're talking about you know that's that's an entire mountain ridge that separates two major rivers that lies between for those that have spent any time camping or hunting or fishing in the old man it lies between um, uh, Livingston Falls campground very popular campground and North Old Man Campground—it's uh, it, it's basically the ridge that separates the Livingston and Old Man Rivers. Kevin, and that's this- just one. You know, there, there's there's um, there's been leases. I, I believe the number I've seen is 1.4 million hectares now have now been leased in our headwaters to coal companies. Um, it's it's actually it's actually mind blowing the scale of this stuff. So that's what I wanted to see when I went out there, and unfortunately, with uh, the nine kilometer walk to get to the base of the ridge i i'm gonna to have to go back in the spring and trespass huh.
0: you you we we saw one of your photos there of uh of uh animal droppings i didn't see it closely enough i don't know if it looks like elk or something like that but uh but what did you observe with regards to evidence of of, of animal activity wildlife activity there
2: oh it, the countryside's teeming with it i think that's one reason that the that section of the forestry trunk road is closed that those are moose droppings he was I guess expressing its opinion about the uh, (laughs) about the coal exploration. But uh, uh, I saw I saw you know I I was walking on wolf tracks for a while, lots of coyote tracks, a few lynx, uh, moose, deer. I didn't see any elk sign up there. Uh, Most of the elk I think sort of go over the Livingston Range and into the foothills. But um, it was sort of like a nonstop uh, scroll of wildlife sign going up that road. So it's it's a very rich area for wildlife, and it's also um, a critical area for Uh, west slope cutthroat trout and for bull trout um, some of the last really good habitat for those two threatened species are actually in the streams that drain from the base of this ridge and 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 from you know other streams that are flowing into the old man um so uh yeah i I have to go back in the spring but uh, you know it was it was a little bit horrifying to look up there and see that windblown coal on the mountaintop and and from where I was standing, to be look up, looking up and seeing the scale of what they're looking at, uh, trying to uh, mine in our headwaters.
0: You know, my friend Jarrett and I have been going back and forth on this, and and uh, he's a reasonable guy. When he when he when he when he uh, let me say calls me to the carpet, uh, I take it seriously because he's not a partisan mouthpiece. He's not a guy that that simply uh, unconditionally supports political parties, but he he supports these coal leases. That the government's been handing out. He's, he's pointing out to me that there's been a lot of uh, coal mining activity in the province over the course of, of of Alberta's history. Of course, he points out that there's a, a great need for metallurgical coal, metallurgical mining. Um, he he says that this is a great time for for people, and he's not wrong. He says, you know, it's a it's a great time for people to reevaluate their own choices. Um, in in a message to me, he says there's no economic way to make steel without the use of metallurgical coal. You know, so for for those of you driving larger vehicles, he knows where to hit me between the eyes, Kevin. He says, you know, if you need an extra vehicle or if you love to travel or if you utilize airplanes or a bunch of other things, you're sending a signal to the market that you want metallurgical coal to be mined. He says when it's your campsite being replaced, it sucks. But if you want more coal, it's got to come from someone's campsite. Now, I did respond to him because we're good friends in a manner that would not be appropriate for even an Internet talk show. But how would you respond to Jared? Because to a degree, he's not wrong. No, he's, he's not wrong about the demand. He's not wrong about the, the trends. Uh, he's not wrong about a consumer society. I'm not sure he's correct that we have to put campgrounds up on the sacrificial altar, but what would you say to him?
2: Well, I, I would agree with him that uh, we all use steel, and steel is really um, a, 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 an underpinning of an awful lot of our economy. Um, I think that there's many ways in which we could use steel many resources more efficiently than we do and less extravagantly and there's no question that currently coal is i mean uh, steel is made involved with the use of bituminous coal which is found in many parts of the world um we don't make steel in alberta all we do is sell coal uh, and the coal is made el- the, the steel is made elsewhere now There's no question that uh, until they improve the technologies for producing steel with hydrogen and some of the other energy sources that they're currently working on, there will be a demand for this coal. But I think the point that makes this one stand out is that we are a region that is water short, and all of our water originates in the eastern slopes of the Rockies. And, when it, and and water comes to us through the landscape. It's snow and rainwater that's being captured in thin soils, moved into the groundwater, and released slowly into rivers. So when we talk about mining bituminous coal in Alberta, when we talk about these, these new strip mines that are now being allowed because of the government's change of policy, we're talking about our source water areas. And so I agree, the economy relies on coal. But you know what it really relies on in Alberta? It relies on water. That's where our irrigation comes from. That's where our industries are supported by our communities. That's where the, the, the cattle feedlots rely on, 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 on water. All of the things that, that we do to, to make a living in Alberta, there's nobody here that doesn't drink water. There's nobody here that doesn't use water. So we're not just talking about coal. We're talking about water. And when you mine our headwaters, you are basically undermining our future water security. I don't see any kind of rational argument for that. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, there's lots of places to source bituminous coal without destroying Alberta's headwaters.
0: So, Kevin, why do you, I mean, I'm not asking you to, to uh, you know, justify or explain a decision you didn't make. But why do you think that hmm. the Alberta government is so interested in granting access to, I mean, in rescinding a coal policy that's been in place for 50 years? The optics alone, you know, suggest they, you know, literally Alberta's going back to the 1960s, literally, what do you think? I mean, I mean, even even a theory that you have that you go, I don't know. I mean, is it maybe this? Because the more I rack my brain on this, and the more I, and people are passing us along, uh, you know, maps and graphs and charts, and I'm trying to make sense of it as a civilian. I mean, you know how all this works. Why there?
2: Well, I I, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that you know when you give um, a, an individual a title and put them in a position of power they start to look like more than what they are. And we basically got an, a, a government of amateurs here. Uh, we've got people that have no previous experience in government that that really came in on a, in many ways, an anti-government platform. And um, and so there's a, they came in automatically distrusting um, experts and uh, they came in with answers in their heads, but they were very simplistic answers like many of us have when we don't really look into things deeply. So I just think they made a mistake. I think that they thought, well, we don't need to talk to the experts. We don't need to do any homework. We want to be able to show Alberta that we got jobs for them. So we're going to open up this countryside to, for coal mines. You know, the Australians told us that, tell us that they want in here. Great, we'll get some jobs. They didn't do their homework. They didn't ask the hard questions. They did. They didn't have enough humility to uh, to to uh, not assume that they didn't have all the answers. But even more, and this is the part that troubles a lot of us, is they, they didn't respect us, because they didn't bother asking the people who elected them, what do you guys think? What do you guys know? What's your experience with the eastern slopes that, 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 that would be useful to us in making this decision? So really, I, I, I think, you know, I think the government made the decision to rescind the coal policy sort of in, in good faith. They just wanted to produce jobs, but... It was an amateur move and it was a stupid move. And it's got to be reversed because uh, um, I I, I think now that pretty much everybody in Alberta is starting to waken up to what's happening. I think they're really hearing from us that um, next time you want to go and invoke a major policy change, do your darn homework. That's what Lawyee did when he brought in the coal policy. Before you take it out, do at least as much homework and talk to us find out what we want because we don't want our water headwaters ruined by uh, Australian coal miners.
0: Yeah. I, I talked to a, a federal conservative strategist yesterday off the record. And, and uh, so I won't quote her. Well, I won't say her name anyway, but, but she said to me, she said, you know, you've, <laughs> she said you've seen it from governments in past that have actually gained favor with people, uh, which is what keep in mind, Jason Kenny promised his government was going to do on January 1st and January 4th and regaining the trust of Albertans. Um, this, I mean, this not is happening. on the heels of moving, moving teachers, pensions, and there's it, it's it's wild to, to host a show like this and try to stay on top of everything that's going on, because if we cover anything in meaningful fashion, Kevin, it means we're not talking about other things. But let me just point out that Premier Kenny has promised to Albertans he will he, he will work to regain their trust. And on this one, you would think that there could be some easy ground gained. Uh, this is what the strategist said to me yesterday. She said, we've seen it in past governments that do exactly what you said, that say, you know what, upon consultation, we were wrong. And we're going to walk this one back. What I fear about this premier, it, he's different than others. This is personal. They're, everything's personal. And, and, and yeah. uh, I, I fear that the more that people talk about walking it back, or the more even that his own advisors, though I don't trust his advisors, but if I did, th- that would suggest to him that, you know, you could walk this back. The more he'll bristle, the more he'll push back. In other words, the more he'll double down, which, which really does concern me.
2: Well, it's 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 uh, it, it, you know, assuming that what you're saying is correct. I mean, it's it's a sign of a guy that needs to manage his ego a little bit better because um, you don't have the liberty of an e- of, of uh, huge ego when you are responsible for the fate of a province. And uh, you know, we've seen the the price that uh, government the, the, that um, whole nations have paid for out of control egos. Um, I agree. The, the logical thing here, the the responsible thing to do here. And it would be really powerful in terms of, 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 of regaining trust would be to say for a change for the first time ever for this government to say, you know what? Um, we are paying attention to Albertans and we care about what Albertans are telling us and Albertans are telling us that they want this reconsidered. So we're going to slap the coal policy back in and we're going to do some analysis. We're going to complete our land use planning so that we've got something to replace it with and we're going to consult. And then you know we might change it, we might modify it, but we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna take a fresh start here. The problem with that, and uh, you know, uh, setting egos aside, I think the other problem is is that they've issued all these leases, so now they've created uh, yet another financial risk that Albertans are going to have to live with. Because if they claw back some of these uh, areas that they've released that should never have been released that have been protected ever since Lahi'd, uh recognized the importance of our headwaters. If they call them back, they're probably going to have to pay some compensation to these companies, um, which is kind of a nice investment move for for the for the Australians. They get money without having to do any work. But um, you know, it's not like we've got more money to throw away. We're already throwing it all, uh, as you pointed out earlier, throwing it away on pipelines that aren't going to get built.
0: Kevin, you know, I'm reading your your Facebook post. I'm not sure if that's public or not. But you you talk about your hike. You posted the photos of the weekend. Is how I saw it. And you you describe some work that you saw uh, a photo advising the public how uh, volunteers were planting willows in erosion sites along hidden creek volunteers are doing that work um, and you write am i bitter yeah a little well actually a lot you say i just spent half a day bearing witness to violence in a place i love uh, you've had what 24 hours or so now post hike to to think about this you knew you were going to be here where are you at now what what did this hike do to with regards to your motivation or your headspace space or, or, or how you're approaching this issue?
2: I wouldn't say it's really changed my point of view a whole lot. Um, it, it did sort of, um, emphasize to me the urgency of this, that, you know, um, you know, a lot of us are worrying about, well, are there going to be mines in the future? Well, the, you know, mines do damage, but there's damage being done right now by bulldozers that are going up these mountainsides to, uh, allow these companies to drill holes and and find uh, out how much coal is there. As soon as the leases are issued, the damage starts. So I guess i got a certain feeling of panic, actually. Um, You know, I spent my entire life, and I'm not young, I'm 68, uh, I spent my entire life uh, going up these valleys into the headwaters to fish, to hunt, to hike, camping with the family, camping with my dad, camping with our kids. Um, You know, this is a big part of how I and many other Albertans identify ourselves and it's under attack right now. And it's not under just a, a local attack. You know, we were talking about Grassy Mountain Mine, which is a proposal down in the Crow's Nest. That was just one mine. That was all we really were talking about until this coal policy got lifted. Now I'm seeing all my childhood haunts being leased out to foreign companies who want to take the tops off the mountains um, and leave those creeks wounded and sick. Uh yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm bitter uh, uh, because that's a sort of futile emotion. I guess that's what I wrote at the time. But I'm a little panicked. I'm a little panicked. Um, uh, uh, the stakes here are huge. This is probably the biggest thing that's hit Alberta in this century so far. And it's it, it will change the face of, of, of our mountains. It will change the, 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 the health of our streams. Um, I don't know how we'll know who we are uh, if this proceeds to its ultimate denouement, which seems to be a possibility right now, because boy, the leases have been issued, you know,
0: Kevin, you really feel that way to circle back. You feel like this is the biggest thing that to hit Alberta this century, you're talking in the last 21 years.
2: I would say, you know, uh, you know, we, we've certainly got lots of issues. Uh, you know, life is never simple. Um, economies are complicated, especially when it's a resource-based economy, you know, it, kind of hard to develop resources without having impacts. So there's, there, you know, we got a lot of issues on the go, but this is the new one. This is the big one. You know, we all thought we were safe. Uh, we, we were assured uh, under that coal policy that the eastern slopes would be protected from this kind of disturbance. You know, they're not protected from other, uh, other things. But, you know, we, we had some confidence that our future water supplies were fairly secure and that these beautiful mountains would be there for us when we needed them. Um and there's a lot of mountains, you know. There's a lot of eastern slopes. Uh, the headwaters of the North Saskatchewan, the Athabasca, the Red Deer, the 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 bull the Highwood, the, the Old Man, all these all these rivers start up in those eastern slopes and they're all at risk now because of this change in policy.
0: Yeah, you know, Kevin, I saw somebody pointing that out saying the more that people learn about this story, the more we're going to be hearing from people in other parts of Canada when they realize uh, the, the waterways that are being affected here. Um, i got to move on here because we've got a couple of guests in our bullpen, so to speak. I'm so appreciative that you took the time to, to the initiative to drive up to the reservoir to be able to have enough reception to talk to us, Kevin. We really appreciate your insight on this, having obviously worked the better part of your career on on talking about things and studying and examining things exactly like this thank you
2: thank you right Ryan. it's great to talk to you
0: you bet that's kevin van take you can uh, read as he does work for the nature conservancy of canada you can read his column in alberta views magazine he's got like 15 or 18 books uh, a ton of books on grizzly populations and fish and water and the environment and the land that he loves uh former superintendent of banff national park we appreciate his time uh, news in just a moment right now we want to remind you that conversations like the ones we have we're keeping an eye on our real talk rj hashtag uh, right now taking what i mean martin says it seems like our premier put all of his is it asphaltines in one frac tower <laughs> from martin well done the real talk rj hashtag is powered by the team at park power they've been in the game electricity natural gas and internet since 2013 and, and they know that you know you have a lot of choices It's a free market in that sense here in Alberta. Well, why not make them your choice? They're a backer of Real Talk. They're helping us build what we're doing here. And they've also ponied up with a promo code uh, to help you save 70 bucks off your first bill. Doesn't matter if it's residential or commercial. If you use the hashtag 2021-Real Talk, when you sign up at parkpower.ca, 70 bucks off your first bill. That's 2021 Talk. 70 bucks off your first bill. Thanks to the team at Park Power for that. Also want to give a shout out to the team at Grand Dog Essentials. And you're going to hear us mention them a little bit later in the show as well uh, with our our good news feature that's coming up a little later on in the broadcast. Very much looking forward to that. Grand Dog Essentials is a, a family-owned business Quality raw dog food out of Edmonton, Calgary, and the Red Deer areas with weekly delivery. They deliver right to our front door. We've been feeding our dogs Moses and Monroe grand dog Quality raw food for a number of years now. Their staff are certified in raw nutrition and they're able to help you provide informed support. If you have questions on whether or not this is right for your dog, you can find them online at granddog.ca. Find them on Facebook and Instagram at Grand Dog Essentials. And again, a promo code 10% off your first time order uh, if you use the discount code REAL TALK. The discount code REAL TALK at Grand Dog Essentials. Let's take a look at what's making news on this Monday morning. Well, i mean really the story that everybody's talking about is what's going to happen this week the inauguration of president-elect joe biden vice president-elect kamala harris uh sources telling cbc news that president-elect biden has indicated plans to cancel keystone xl pipeline permit uh via executive action on his first day in office uh this reported yesterday it's a purported briefing note Uh, from the Biden transition team that was widely circulated over the weekend. It was being shared uh, with stakeholders in the United States and on a list of executive actions supposedly scheduled for day one of Biden's presidency, quote, rescind Keystone XL pipeline permit. Now, it also talks about some of the other actions that he'll take, including uh, ending 45's restriction, Trump's restriction on immigration uh, from to the U.S. from some Muslim majority countries, a move to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and to mandate mask wearing on federal property and during interstate travel that uh, being reported by the CBC. And we're going to talk about that with our guests coming up in just a moment. Also wanted to let you know that Alberta teachers uh, and the union representing them say that they're quote livid after Alberta issued this ministerial order changing the terms of public sector pensions. We've been talking about this on the show in past. We're going to talk about it again down the line. You heard from the former board chair of the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund who joined us, uh, I think it was on Friday of last week, Thursday or Friday of last week. Well, Gil McGowan, president of the Alberta Federation of Labor, says, quote, the finance minister and premier might call this administrative, administrative reform. We call it theft. That from the AFL. That's another story that we're following. I want to keep an eye on what you're saying this morning on our Real Talk uh, YouTube chat, the live chat. Those of you that are tuned in watching this morning, uh, Travis, on the billion and a half dollars that the Alberta government invested in Keystone XL while it was under review at a time of uncertainty, uh, Travis says, I wonder if we could have funded like, I don't know, 11,000 healthcare workers or so with that billion and a half dollars. Uh, Tracy says Alberta bought in the same week that KXL was in the courts to be put on hold. Uh, Says, I support all the jobs we did have here in the business, but at the same time, to me, it seems like a bad time uh, to invest. Troy says, maybe next time we should just elect a government that will literally just light our money on fire. At least we could roast marshmallows while we watch our money burn. Uh, Sean wonders, so if it does get rejected, do we get a refund? That's our tax money. I wouldn't bet on it, Sean. Uh, Others are saying, you know, pre pandemic, it seemed like getting a pipeline. This is from Wigwith. This is an interesting observation says so, you know pre-pandemic it seemed like getting a pipeline uh, built was the only way to save our economy and and now i don't know i don't know if maybe we just need to cut our losses sandra says when the premier speaks today i expect that he will blame trudeau of course we'll see uh, jason kenney has issued a statement on uh, the, you know the, the plan uh, the, the purported plan keep in mind the announcement's not yet been made by president elect biden These are these are reports that are circulating, but typically by the time it gets to this point, uh, it's something that you can maybe not bank on, but something that you can expect, Uh, says Alberta's premier this morning. I'm deeply concerned by reports that the incoming administration, the Biden administration, may repeal the presidential permit for Keystone XL next week. Doing so would kill jobs on both sides of the border. True. Uh, weaken the critically important Canada U.S. relationship and undermine U.S. national security by making the United States more dependent on OPEC oil imports in the future. He goes on to talk about the relationship of of how much oil that the United States imports, including uh, about nine and a quarter million barrels per day, uh, 3.7 of those barrels, 3.7 million from Canada. He points out the rest comes from Venezuela and Saudi Arabia, kind of like lecturing Joe Biden like he's not aware of this. This goes back to the Ezra Levant ethical oil argument. I'm going to skip all of that. But Kenny goes on to say, as the government of Canada has said, building KXL is top of the agenda with the incoming Biden administration. Prime Minister Trudeau raised the issue with Biden on their November 9th phone meeting agreeing to engage on key issues, including energy cooperation like Keystone XL, says Premier Kenny. by way of statement. We renew our call on the upcoming administration to show respect for Canada as the United States' most important trading partner and strategic ally by keeping that commitment to engage and allow Canada to make the case for strengthening cooperation on energy, and the environment and the economy through this project. Should the incoming U.S. administration abrogate the Keystone XL permit, Alberta will work with tc energy former trans canada pipelines to use all legal avenues available to protect its interest in the project do you feel comfortable this is a serious question i want you to actually think about this even the kenny voters even the people watching that are listening right now that are still standing by their man knowing what you know about jason kenny how he communicates with people how he bristles his sharp tongue how he acts how he refuses to do interviews with people that ask him tough questions, how, how, he, how, how he acts in punitive fashion. Do you trust him to navigate this delicate relationship between Alberta and the American administration? Do you trust him? Do you, do you think it's smart that Alberta's premier, who? Alberta's premier in the White House, who? Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta. Where's that? We buy a lot of oil off them. Yeah, he's he's telling me to respect. He's he's like I'm not even the he's telling me to respect him. He's telling me he's going to sue me and I better respect him. Right. Do you trust him? You feel good about him representing Alberta on this file right now? I'm going to ask that question to our next guests, and we're grateful that both of them have agreed to join us this morning. Uh, Martin Olshinsky is an associate professor, University of Calgary's faculty of law an expert in environmental and natural resource law and policy. Uh, martin welcome to the show and thanks for making time for us this morning
3: hey thanks for having me happy to be here good
0: to have you here andrew leach is uh an energy and environmental economist a lawyer now too uh guy's been back to school for a little while (laughs) almost uh you, you finished your law school though haven't you andrew it, yeah just as a master's in law so
4: not eligible to practice
0: okay there you go well thanks for clarifying uh andrew a well-known economist here in the province of Alberta, and, uh, alberta to be sure uh thanks to the both of you uh martin let's ask you here and I, I asked you on the show both of you to talk about the allen inquiry and we'll leave some time to talk about that and we'll and we'll get into kxl uh more robustly uh with another expert out of you, calgary's law school in just a little bit but but your reaction to the news that you heard over the weekend that biden may have no appetite for kxl what do you think martin
3: yeah, so I mean, I've um, I'll defer generally, I think to to Andrew's chops here, but you know, my understanding and reading of the policy landscape is that I think the premier has really underestimated just how how serious the Biden administration is about reducing uh, GHG emissions in the United States. How serious he is about electrification of the transportation sector, in particular. We're talking about you know the plans for 400,000 charging stations, which you know blows away existing infrastructure, I think, around fossil fuels. And so there are other people that your listeners will want to follow um, on on Twitter, for instance, that are doing this hard analysis. Uh, Sarah Hastings-Simon, for, in- for instance. Um, so, so I think that's a big issue right there is that the premier, you know, in that sort of missive that he sent over, um, and I, I don't think he appreciates just how serious the administration is in the state. So it's not that they're going to be making up that gap. Um, by bringing in OPEC oil, for instance. Um, I think rather what we're talking about is seeing significant reductions in consumption in the United States. Uh, The other thing I'll just, I'll tie in, because they are related, of course. You know, I I, I take your point about whether or not President-elect Biden um, has heard of the Premier. Um, Let's hope that he doesn't hear about the Allen inquiry, right? Because I think whatever whatever argument the Premier was going to make um, about Canada, and he refers to, uh, being serious about climate change, but at the same time, he has an inquiry that is apparently commissioning conspiracy theory reports um, to explain or or try to obfuscate the reality of um, you know uh, environmental opposition to oil sands uh, in sort of over the past 15 years. So, like I said, I think I think we have a lot of problems on this file, and I don't I don't see an e- I don't see how the premier, given sort of everything that he's put in place. In the last couple of years, I don't really see how he can stick handle this situation, actually.
0: OK, uh, we're going to return and, and we're going to get into this Allen inquiry in meaningful fashion in just a moment. But, Andrew, I want to get your lay of the land as well. Uh, this news about KXL now will we'll know for sure uh, if and when uh, President-elect Biden makes it official. But it sounds like he's going to kill this pipeline. Uh, you may be able I think you're going to be able to help us understand Alberta's exposure on this. Uh, people are seeing the numbers one point five billion and seven billion. The seven billion alone guarantee, my understanding is potentially based on future construction that may not have happened. How, how vulnerable is Alberta on this? And, and what's Alberta on the hook for? What can you tell us?
4: I wish we knew more. I wish we had the documents to be able to say for sure what exactly the agreement is. Uh, generally, what we'd expect is that the $1.5 billion was investment in the project and equity in the project. And so that's almost certainly gone. Uh, that project's not worth anything if you can't build it. Uh, in terms of the loan guarantee, it depends a little bit on what the project's undertakings were with its uh, shippers. Stacy McDonald was speculating a little bit on this on Twitter last night, Um That if the project is responsible for reimbursing substantial shares of its, or is is in line to get substantial shares of its costs reimbursed from shippers, then perhaps Alberta is not on the hook for as much of those loan guarantees. If TransCanada is, if the project's essentially out the dollars it spent uh, on construction already, then we're going to see those costs to Alberta go up. Are you surprised
0: that, that Biden's making this call? It's been rumored. You know, I mean, a, a lot of people in Alberta, you know, I'm just saying anecdotally, you know, people would, would write into the show or I would talk to people and, and and they'd say, yeah, like Trump, like, you know, he's a little tacky or there's things about it you know, that I don't agree with. But, uh, you know, Trump is the one that's going to get KXL built. So so I support Trump would say some Albertans um, with regards to the politics of this. Should anybody be surprised?
4: Well, you know, Trump didn't wasn't able to advance this project for the same reason Republicans weren't able to advance it previously, is that they tried to skirt the process. And so when Trump initially issued the permits, he did it without following due process. And that meant that the construction in the U.S. never got off the ground. So it's possible that had the Trump administration gone through the appropriate Uh, process and directed that pipeline to be approved, that you might see more material construction already underway in the US. Uh, In terms of Biden reversing this, it's well within his power to do so. It is to some degree unprecedented, though, for uh, the removal of a permit at this stage in, in the project. So when you actually have pipe in the ground in Canada, you've got some construction of pumping stations already in the u.s although no pipe in the ground i don't think in the u.s so it's quite a ways down the road for a president to revoke one of these presidential permits but that's the the nature of the permit itself is it's not just for construction it's construction and operation and at the discretion of the president at any point in time
0: yeah i have to i have to wonder too though if it's worth talking about the impact that this could have on investor confidence we talk a lot about investor confidence. I think more back to to Alberta circa you know, 2016, 2017, when then Premier Rachel Notley faced a lot of criticism from people that are saying she's moving the goalposts, uh, she's changing the game with regards to environmental regulation or other policies, and they can have a real detrimental impact on international investor confidence. Uh, Martin, what do you think about that? Would you agree with that? I'll ask both of you, and then we'll move on to the Allen inquiry.
3: Well, and I'll just um, riff off one thing that Andrew said. So, in fact, some of the defect deficiencies in the United States and the reason why construction hasn't really actually moved forward there is is that the president allegedly, like the, the litigation, is that he didn't comply with their environmental assessment legislation, right? NEPA, the National Energy or National Environmental Policy Act. And so, of course, the parallels between that and what has happened in Canada time over time and, and the point that Andrew made, um, I wholeheartedly endorse. You know, we have governments, generally conservative, that think that the that the way to get through this is to sort of ram these projects through the approval process and they cut corners. Um, and then of course, they're surprised when those projects are challenged in court and in fact, often successfully, right? And so um, I think that that's an actually important, uh, absolutely important part that even under a Trump administration, it's not clear um, at what point that permit would be considered sort of legally safe. And so we would still have issues there and it further heaps on I think, and exposes um, the risk um, that was associated um, with the premier's sort of bet a few months ago. Um, you know, to your, to your other question, you know, we, we've had a bit of this sort of regulatory ping pong, it seems like in North America over the past sort of decade. Um, and, and, you know, we saw it with Trump too, right? So when Trump came in, he just started trying to roll back all of the gains that had been made, for instance, on fuel efficiency um, under the Obama EPA. Um, you know, and, and so, of course, this creates uh, investor uncertainty. Um, my own view, of course, is that presidents and prime ministers and premiers don't do this kind of stuff on their own volition. They're, they're sort of lobbied and encouraged to do so. So to some extent, uh, you reap what you sow. Um, these companies have, I think, over the past decade, engaged and, and promoted this kind of these very drastic swings in energy and environmental policy. We saw that in Canada in 2012 with a, a, essentially an evisceration of the federal regulatory regime. Not surprising that Trudeau, when he came back into power, part of his platform was to restore that regime. Um, and then he went on to do so in his first term. We're gonna see the exact same thing in the United States. And, and I don't think, you know, I, of course, I, I think Trump is his own, um, you know, his own monster in a sense. I don't think any, it's not a puppet necessarily. I think he was doing a lot of that stuff out of sort of like his own wanton sort of destruction. But but at the same time, we know companies were sort of lining up um, behind that effort. And I don't think that they should be very surprised when it comes back and, and sort of swings the other way.
0: Andrew, I wanted to show you this. I'm not sure if you know Chris Turner, the the uh, author of that book, The Patch, uh, an author out of <laughs> Calgary. I want to show you a tweet that he sent out. He said it would, it would be hard uh, to state after Emma Graney, a, a reporter, says, you know, the inquiry, this Allen inquiry, the war room, two key planks. In the energy part of the United Conservatives election platform, um, Chris says, you know, it'd be hard to overstate just how completely the fight back strategy put forth by Jason Kenney has failed. Tens of millions spent nothing achieved piles of negative publicity and overall net loss for the reputation of the oil and gas industry in the province. Would you agree with Chris?
4: Uh, I think Chris is right about at the bottom line there's a big reputational hit. I think the one thing and and I expect Chris would agree with me is that it's not clear that was ever the intention of the Jason Kenney fight back strategy. The the intention of that strategy was to rally uh, the conservative cause around something that his government could fix and that and that he could fix. Only he could fight back against the evil environmentalists. Only he could bring prosperity back to to the province. By this strategy. And I don't know, you know, from a, obviously from the oil and gas perspective, this has not gone as planned. Uh, and his ratings would suggest that maybe for him, it hasn't gone as planned. But I think we have to start from the beginning, which was, this was a political strategy much more so than it was a business strategy. Uh, because And, you know, you could see that by the fact that it was doing things that the oil and gas industry, at least the larger players in the space were not 100% on board with.
0: Martin, you say, let's hope that the Biden administration hasn't heard of the Allen inquiry. Um, You've you've been let me say uh, or pick my words carefully. I'll let you clarify. I was going to say intimately involved in this, at least in the sense that you've been talking about it. You posted a submission uh, that you wrote uh, back on January 14th. You've posted you call it textbook climate denialism. People can find it on the University of Calgary Faculty of Law blog, AB log uh, a blog reminds me of uh, I'm not going to get into Arrested Development and Bob Law's law blog, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, forgive I me, a- ABLawG.ca. Uh, uh, Martin, take us into this. Take us into the inquiry. Let's 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 blow the doors off this thing. Let's have a frank conversation.
3: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, uh, part of the campaign and into the 2019 sort of election, uh, Premier Kenny sort of announced um, sort of inspired by previous work um, by. Uh, Vivian Krauss and, and others maybe, uh, but mostly I think uh, Vivian, um, the premier announced that he was going to launch a formal public inquiry. He was going to use the machinery of the state to get into the, to sort of get at this issue of foreign funding for environmental groups that had opposed, um, you know, essentially Alberta's oil and gas development. and 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 it was interesting because, of course, at the time he was Already talking about it as if he knew the answer. You know, he said, "We know for sure that this is happening, but we're going to have a public inquiry about it." And so they really did, uh, you know, target. Uh, they put a big target on on NGOs basically um, in Canada, and we saw a lot of the, you know, coming into the uh, election. Uh, you know, there was the issues around the Pembin Institute. Um, you know, that one of their executive directors had been hired on as a commission of the AR. Uh Premier Kenny took a swipes at him um we had all kinds of disparaging comments made about various groups and so then and then when when they were elected they they started this process this inquiry um and then you know and i hate to say it but basically i mean essentially at every juncture and then i want to I'll, I'll put it out there right now that i'm going to try to um i'm going to be restrained a bit in my in my commentary because i am a participant in the inquiry right now and i want to mean i want to stay one um but um you know the basic at every juncture, we've seen problems. So, you know, initially, uh, it was Steve Allen, who's well known sort of in Calgary and Alberta conservative circles, I think, um, was appointed as a commissioner, he's he's not a lawyer or a judge. Usually, these kinds of inquiries are headed by for judges, or at least former judges. He's a forensic accountant. So, so maybe that made sense. Um, he went, uh, turned around and hired Dentons uh, without any kind of tender process. And of course, he has a working some kind of working relationship with Denton's I think his office was in, in the dentist offices um, and his son's a partner at Denton's um, so anyway so that started things off in a weird way and then we had these Martin, let, me just, let me just let me just use
0: were... the words because it's important it was a sole source contract worth more than 900,000 yeah. I think it's important to put that on the record
3: I think that's right I think that's absolutely right thanks for that um, and so then um, you know, and then we had these terms of reference and basically the, the inquiry was launched as this uh, public inquiry into anti-alberta Energy campaigns, right? So this very strong othering, right? That if, if groups were opposed to energy development in Alberta, then surely they're against Albertans. That they'd have no other logical, rational reason to oppose, um, you know, oil and gas development in Alberta, other than perhaps some weird um, personal antagonism towards Albertans and their way of life. Um, we saw all kinds of op- it's a very opaque public inquiry. It's the least public inquiry that I think anyone in Canada has ever seen. The commissioner wrote an interim report in January of 2020 that no one has seen. And then we started to see um, the delays, right? So it was initially supposed to be, you know, we were supposed to have a report in the summer of 2020. That was delayed until October. Um, Then in October, that was delayed until January. Um, Most recently, this weekend, we're getting indications that perhaps even January might not work. Um, The commissioner has asked for and had asked and received an additional $1 million. Um, so as a $3.5 million budget at this point. And then of course, the thing that I think brings us all here today, um, was the commissioner publishing a series of reports that three of which he had commissioned himself to the tune of $100,000. and then a series of other essentially like a package of material that he had sent to participants for commentary. And so I was one of these participants for commentary. My understanding is that there are about 11 of us. Um, and I mean, and they're just, unbelievable they are jaw-dropping bad um they are you know the one report essentially two of them claim that that all of the opposition to alberta's oil and sands and oil and gas development rather than being for instance the fairly obvious consequence of 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 concern over climate change and 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 bearing in mind in, in particular the you know the ghg intensive nature of alberta's oil sands in particular that they're actually part of an international transnational progressive movement conspiracy to impose material poverty on the developed world, you know, and I'm not, these are, these are actual words used in these terms, uh, in these reports. And so, um, and, and, and when we look and the other report was by Dr. Barry Cooper, who of course is also, I think, well-known in Alberta conservative circles. He's the founder um, of friends
0: of science, isn't he?
3: Well, and so he was, you know, and Andrew might speak to that a bit more. I mean, he was certainly involved, um, with that group, and, and there are issues about potentially using research funds to fund uh, essentially political activity in Ontario. Um, so, so just bizarre, just really, really hard to understand how, you know, out of all the things that, like of all the information and all the experts that the commissioner could have talked to, um, that he chose these two individuals who have no climate background, for instance, no training in climate science, um, to to allege these essentially conspiracies. Dr. Cooper refers to Marxist, sort of ideologies. Um, the other, the third report, of course, uh, the irony there is that it, you know, the, the commissioner paid $50,000 US to an American group, Energy In Depth, which is part of the American Petroleum Institute, to report on you know, where some of the funding has gone in terms of these groups. And of course, you know, the, the common thread in all of it is that climate change is either not, a, not an issue at all, again, it's essentially a pretext, or not a big deal. And that and that therefore there has to be some other reason. Again, this Marxist green Marxist sort of like theories about why these groups have engaged in in um, in opposition to uh, Alberta's oil and gas development.
0: Andrew, you were all over Twitter yesterday. People were kicking up dust all over the place on this. I see that Real Talk audience members have raised twenty five hundred dollars to donate to a charity of Vivian Krause's uh, choice. If she'll appear on this show to debate Uh, Her findings with someone else. I didn't commission that. I didn't ask anybody to do that, but they've already come up with twenty five hundred bucks. What do you make of what Martin's saying? And and what else do we need to be taking a look at here with regards to this inquiry? It's pretty. it's, It's I can't decide if it's discouraging, infuriating or a mix of both. But where are you landing on this?
5: Well, I think
4: one of the things, getting Vivian Krause on on your show to debate her findings, that should have been what the Allen inquiry was doing, right? When the premier launched it, he stood up and he basically, for all intents and purposes, waved around Vivian Krause's research and so these are the things that we know, and what we want to do is go on go on from here, confirm that these are sort of valid assertions, and then ask, you know, why and who and, and how much about the funding of anti-Alberta oil activities. And so to, that's almost table stakes at a public inquiry. Build the evidentiary record to hold her work, but also the work of people like Sandy Garasino, who have challenged her work or or challenged the implications of her work. And that should have been, you know, what participants were invited to comment on. The, The insinuation she makes about environmental groups, those environmental groups should have been invited to challenge them. And I think the most disturbing piece of evidence that came forward this weekend, I mean, it's been bannered around a few times already, but the inquiry has not even contacted Greenpeace Canada. So if you think, take the most rabid Jason Kenny supporter in the province and say, who do you think this inquiry should have gone after? The first answer that would come out of their mouth would be Greenpeace. It would have been you know, people like Mike Udema who were hanging from bridges and literally shutting down oil sands plants yeah. uh, to protest the oil industry, hanging from the premier's event at the Shaw, all of that stuff, they haven't even been contacted. And the Public Inquiries Act lays out very clearly, if Steve Allen is going to make conclusions that impugn any of these organizations, he has to, by law, give them an opportunity to challenge the evidence, to call witnesses, to defend their names the same way as if he were going to impugn you or I. And The other thing, when the premier stood up in front of in front of the province and said, we're launching this inquiry, he threw into question, you know, the the policies of the previous government. So here I'll put my own name out. I had a little bit of a role in developing the policies of uh, that were implemented by the previous government. We held a long engagement process that involved a lot of the impugned organizations. I might have expected an email from the Allen inquiry to say, hey, you know, can we talk about the involvement of these groups in the policy formation process. But nothing has been forthcoming. And the last thing I'll say is all of the contacts that have been made, from what I've heard, they're all weird, right? They're all direct messages on LinkedIn. They're DMs on Twitter. They're, hey, can we meet for coffee? They're not official correspondence from the public inquiry of an Alberta government that you'd expect from this kind of quasi legal process. And, and Martin can fill in here, but this is the equivalent of a judge of the court of Queens bench in Alberta, right. In terms of its um, in terms of the authority, the ability to, to compel witnesses, et cetera. And we've given this person this authority and he's exercising it in just such a weird way that I'm not sure what exactly he's trying to do.
0: Uh, martin let me in, in closing ask you to comment on this i mean this is significant i think because albertans are, are sitting here frankly saying what the hell am i supposed to make of all this like what, what's even the point of this anyway um at, at the end of the day well it was supposed to be two and a half million dollars it, it, it got a bump up in budget so it's three and a half million and who knows ultimately what it'll cost it's had at least one time extension uh it appeared as though it was going to be late again but now the office is and you know more about this than i do saying ah, actually the That was miscommunicated. That was communicated in error. So there's sort of things swirling around. And and ultimately, and maybe it's good for Jason Kenney and the United Conservatives, this is kind of flying under the radar of about 100 other things, which is why I think it's important that we're talking about it. But for the people that are tuned in right now that are going to hear this later in the day on the podcast, whatever, going, "What, what do I even make of all this? What do we walk away from this interview thinking about if we're dialed in?
3: Okay, so yeah, I mean, I think the, the key thing to understand is that this inquiry to date is un, is is unlike any inquiry we've ever seen in Canada for its sort of opaqueness, for the lack of transparency, um, and, and, and for the sort of incredibly low grade, apparently, um, level of information that um, is being relied upon um, to, to come to any kind of conclusions or policy recommendations you know I I don't think you know it would probably take me half an hour to list all of the different issues and problems and I just I think I'll just come back to the point though that that Andrew made a bit um you know so it's not a court fully it's not a full judicial process but it you know it it certainly is bound by rules of what we call rules of administrative law and that includes procedural fairness and, and Andrew was alluding to some of those things about the importance of people having a right to be notified of any findings that might, at, you know, might have an adverse effect on their reputation, um, but also substantive rationality. So, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm going to keep being involved in the process, well, however long it takes, if it's going to end at the end of this month, I don't know. Um, but, you know, what I think, uh, what needs to be clear, I think, Burns, is that the urge to scapegoat environmental groups will be higher now than it has been before, especially with this, the potential decision on Keystone. And so I think it's that much more important that the inquiry have uh, been partial and fair. And, and right now, unfortunately, it's really hard. I mean, it's impossible to say that that's the case. Um, we're going to have to sit tight. Again, I want to give the commissioner the benefit of the doubt um and and i think we just have to you know wait and see i guess how these things keep going but at every juncture every time we talk about the inquiry every time it's in the news it's a bad news story
0: i just andrew i just i i guess i just maybe i'm stating the obvious but even it's no offense to you two you've helped us understand this in in a more fulsome way but i still i still don't get what the point is i still don't get it i mean unless unless Steve Allen was able to uncover something that, that no one else was able to uncover unless he had he had he had found this bullet, the silver bullet. And and like, what's the point? Like at the end of the day, what's the point?
4: I mean, we've been kicking this around for a decade. Right. And, and so I think there is some value if you if you think we live in a democracy There's a whole lot of Albertans and a whole lot of Canadians who think there is something nefarious going on here. We've had members of parliament, senators, et cetera, essentially wink and nudge at this idea that there's a grand commercial conspiracy on the part of uh, the U.S. oil and gas industry and these foundations to hamstring Alberta. So, sure. Albertans want to know the answer. They voted for a government to, uh, and as part of that platform, that government said, we're going to find the answers. Okay, let's have a process that finds those answers. Let's open it up. Let's have a, a straight up process that says, is there anything to that? I don't think, you know, I might not agree with that being a great use of government spending, but that's fine. I didn't vote for it. The majority of Albertans did. So great. Let's go with it, but let's do it right. Right. If we're going to spend three and a half million dollars, let's actually build an evidentiary record. Let's have the experts that we need to challenge this evidence. Let's go through and and actually say for once and for all, is there anything here? And I think that would actually be of huge public value. But that's not what this inquiry is doing. It's turning around and saying things like, well, you know, we want all of our participants to comment on Bjorn Lomberg's book about whether or not the climate crisis is really the most important challenge we're facing, and then turning around and saying, but we're not here to talk about climate science. They didn't even cite a single piece of Vivian Krause's research in their request for comments from participants. So the whole thing that started this inquiry isn't even on the record, isn't even pushed forward, even though from Twitter yesterday, we know for a fact that it's in the hands of the inquiry uh, to deal with. So let's do it, but let's do it right.
0: Yeah. Uh, Let me ask you this in closing, uh, Andrew, because we've got to move on. But you did tweet about I I opened the show talking to Kevin Van Tegum about coal mining. We spent uh, a lion's share of last week talking about it. We'll be talking about more. I can see by your body language. uh, You feel how a lot of people feel about this, but you put some numbers out. You're you're an environmental and energy economist. Uh, So uh, when you're talking numbers, it matters. Um, You talked about uh, basically what the Alberta government. So what Alberta, what Albertans get What's the trade off for lopping off the tops of our mountains and and shaking them all about getting the coal out and trying to put them back together? And it's about 67 grand in the first year. Does there need to be an asterisk here? Am I responsibly reporting this? Take us into the numbers before we say goodbye.
4: Yeah. So, so this was Ian Urquhart posted. This was the the lease payments about $65,000 for if I remember correctly, it's 18 and a half square kilometers of mining leases. So that's not just the first year. That's a one-time payment for those 15 year leases uh, that allows, allows the development subject to environmental approval, et cetera, but it gives them the option to develop it. So that's kind of the, if you think about it, the ante that the, uh, that the company has to pay to get in the game, it's a pittance. And then I looked also at what we've collected historically in coal royalties. And it's, you know, it's on the order of 30 million dollars a year or sorry, 15 million dollars a year. So half a war room worth of budget. And if you if you see how the government's positioning this, they're positioning it as, you know, sort of an opportunity for a significant economic benefit to the province. And it isn't. It will have some local impacts It will create a few high paying jobs, but we're getting a pittance in return for an incredible natural asset that as, uh, as Kevin pointed out, I mean, the government's going to get in the business of selling things off for pennies on the dollar to create jobs. There's a lot of other things they could sell off for pennies on the dollar before they sell off the Rockies.
0: Yeah. I just want to make sure that I'm not missing anything. So there's the royalties on the coal that's mined and there's the income and there's the income tax that's paid by the people working, right? Am I missing any other revenue source
4: here? And then any corporate income tax that would come from the entity that that is there. And then, uh, you know, if you were, if you wanted to take the sort of economic impact analysis road, you'd say, okay, there are local businesses that are going to profit from, you know, whether it's the construction or the um, lodging, et cetera. But that's, you know a pittance in terms of the the broader overall economy whereas you're dealing with you know a collective asset that the government has Martin will, will kick me here because we don't have this legally in Canada but essentially a public trust uh, to steward this asset for Albertans today and in the future and what they're doing is they're turning this over to to create a few uh, a few jobs today and a, a small kick to the 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 uh, provincial coffers in one year and it just doesn't seem like a trade-off that makes any sense
0: yeah and let, let's point out that alberta gave corporations a big break on corporate tax uh, a couple of years ago with it, which is worth pointing out as well uh fellas if i didn't have another uh, interview set to go we could probably go for another hour on this we'll just have to bring you back martin olshinsky uh, university of calgary faculty of law uh, andrew leach dr andrew leach out of the university of alberta uh, an environment and energy economist thanks for giving us time on your monday morning we appreciate it
4: thanks ryan a pleasure to be here You bet.
0: Okay, we're going to be uh, bringing our conversation back to Keystone XL specifically. That's the lead story today. That's what everybody in Canada. Well, I never want to say. I got to be careful what I say. Uh, you guys, you guys hold my feet to the fire on, on on my hyperbole, and that's good. Not everybody in Canada is talking about Keystone XL, but it's certainly the lead story in Alberta. It's a big story in Alberta, uh, and for people that that pay attention to or work in Canada's energy economy, it's a very significant story. Uh, that's coming up in just a moment right now I want to remind you the team at local waste wants your business now whether you own a small family restaurant a retail outlet or, or whether you own a, a grocery store or a shopping mall they've been in the game of waste removal waste management including recycling for more than a quarter century And they're looking to expand as well if you're watching us our demographic data shows that we have significant rural viewership which is awesome if you're even watching from one of the smaller centers in alberta right now and you're going you know with regards to the the waste management game i think there's an opportunity here to enter that market chris and lauren labossi are are eager to do exactly that and they'd love to have you on as a partner give them a call Call them by their first names at 780-242-9746. You can check out localwaste.ca as well. They love to talk trash. And of course, Trash Talk coming up at the end of this week as well. Also grateful for the support of the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. They love Jeeps. And 2021 is going to be an unbelievable year for Jeep, including the launch of this new seven-passenger Grand Cherokee. It's going to be in their showroom soon, plus the even more exciting launch of the Grand Wagoneer, which is going to reinvent the love luxury SUV. They're going head-to-head against all those other luxury SUVs. Uh, They want to look after your dream Jeep, help you customize it at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge Jeep, your source for all things Jeep. Sam, are we good to go here with our next guest? I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. She, she's like the go to if you want to understand pipelines and law, if you want to understand what's going on right now with Keystone XL. Uh, Kristen van de Biesenbos is an associate professor at the University of Calgary's Faculty of Law and the Haskane School of Business, specializing in energy law. Kristen, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Welcome to Real Talk.
1: Thank you very much Ryan and thank you for having
0: me. Let me ask you the question generally uh, and broadly out of the gates uh, what do you make of the report that president elect Biden's going to kill Keystone XL and and what does Alberta's exposure look like on this?
1: Well Ryan I think it was pretty much expected it's something that um, you know Joe Biden when he was campaigning for president did promise to do and it's consistent with the agenda that president Obama himself had regarding energy projects, um, Obama was very much in, in interested in crafting an environmental legacy. Um, and as you probably know, and as many of your listeners probably know, he actually did reject the Keystone XL application uh, the first time around. So it, I don't think it was a surprise to anyone that Joe Biden went ahead. And well, I mean, he hasn't done it yet. He won't be inaugurated as president until Wednesday. But I think he's made it clear that he does intend to cancel the permit for Keystone XL. Uh, and he has the power to do it. Uh, when the decision was made by the Trump administration to use a an executive order to issue the permit for Keystone XL, it sort of made that permit especially vulnerable. Because again, if, if uh, President, if Trump were not to win re-election, which he didn't, an executive order can be freely withdrawn by a president at any time. It can be revoked at any time. So there's really no limit on uh, Vice President Biden, soon to be President Biden's ability to revoke the permit for Keystone XL.
0: Kristen, I Uh, I want to... sorry sorry i don't mean to step on your toes there let me just say that that in in conversation off air with andrew and martin yesterday who i just spoke with on air um they i asked them a couple of questions they said you got to ask Kristen. they said Kristen's the expert on this don't ask us so let me ask you this they did say about 20 minutes ago they said that that essentially president trump and the republican party under biden uh efforts to, to sort of undermine or skirt the process made key uh, keystone xl especially vulnerable now are you saying that the approval or the manner in which uh, President President Trump approved this has ultimately made the project more vulnerable?
1: Yes. Uh, Previously, before the use of a presidential executive order to issue the permit for a cross-border pipeline, which is what President Trump did, it used to go through an administrative review process that was headed by the State Department. Um, And that was true up until the application for Keystone XL actually. And so under that process, uh, because it was carried out by an administrative agency under the executive branch, it was subject to a number of different pieces of legislation that would make it very difficult to change course. Once a decision had been made by the State Department, changing that decision would actually be quite tough. And that's the reason why President Trump decided to use the executive order to approve Keystone XL because he initially tried to get his State Department to reverse course on the findings under President Obama. And they ran into uh, legal problems with that. There was a district court in Montana actually that said that they didn't follow the proper administrative procedures in trying to change that decision. And that's the reason why President Trump said, well, just forget it then, I will use my executive order to go ahead and issue the permit. So that's that's the reason why he did it. But choosing to do it that way made it extraordinarily vulnerable, because assuming that the president really does have the power to issue a permit or revoke a permit for a cross-border pipeline, um, if he really does have the power to do that and he chooses to issue the permit with an executive order, the next president can just revoke it. And there's nothing really that you can do about it unless and we can certainly talk about this in a second you can bring a lawsuit showing that the president doesn't actually have the power to issue or revoke a permit like this
0: well and you have to, you teed it up beautifully chris and i think that that probably is is i would assume What the premier of Alberta's legal advisors are telling him by way of a statement, Jason Kenney saying we renew our call on the incoming administration to show respect for Canada as the United States most important trading partner and strategic ally by keeping that commitment to engage by allowing Canada to make the case for strengthening, strengthening cooperation on energy, the environment, the economy through this project, quote, should the incoming U.S. administration abrogate the Keystone XL permit, Alberta will work with TC Energy to use all legal avenues available to protect this interest in the project. Do you like Alberta's chances?
1: So uh, before I answer that question, I'm gonna pull a typical lawyer move and, and sort of give you a little bit of background on what kinds of legal avenues are available. So in 2015, when the Obama administration decided to reject the permit from Keystone XL, uh, TC Energy, then TransCanada, actually did file a lawsuit in federal court alleging that or arguing that, I should say, that uh, the president doesn't actually have the authority to issue or revoke a permit for a cross-border pipeline. Normally, a project like a pipeline is subject to an, a, a very rigorous regulatory process. And by having the president just make a decision, you really skip that whole process. So it's not entirely clear. And it doesn't say anywhere in Article 2, which is the part of the U.S. Constitution that created the executive and gave it its powers, including the president as the head of the executive branch. It doesn't say anything about energy projects. In theory, anyway, the power of the president to do this comes from the foreign affairs powers that are given to the president as the head of the U.S. Uh, or the head of the executive, I should say, because in some foreign affairs matters, uh, the framers of the U.S. Constitution believed that the the U.S. needed to speak with one voice. So there, there are extensive, broad powers over foreign affairs issues that the president has. It's just not clear whether or not a cross-border pipeline is one of those things. So TC Energy did file a lawsuit. They dropped it because of President Trump's very vocal uh, commitment to reversing that decision as he was campaigning. And then of course he did it very early on in his presidency, but they could certainly renew that lawsuit and try to prove that. Now, even if they won, which would take in theory years to go through the litigation, um, but even if they did win, they still have to reapply for all of the permits Keystone XL is a very long pipeline. In the US, unlike in Canada, the pipeline has to be approved by every single state that it goes through. Um, but anytime it crosses federal land, federal works, which include federal highways, or federal bodies of water, which are all over the US, that's any river, any navigable body of water, you have to get a federal permit. And so it's not clear that even if you were to win this lawsuit, on the one hand, you do, if you did win, you wouldn't be able to be subjected to the sort of whimsy of a president because they wouldn't be able to use an executive order to do this. Uh, but you still have to get all those federal permits, which it's not clear that that Keystone XL would be able to succeed under a much more rigorous environmental review, which I think we can assume uh, federal agencies under a President Biden would use. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you maybe could do is file a claim before NAFTA. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, uh, the U.S. has never actually been sanctioned under NAFTA, not once. Canada has been sanctioned many times, but the U.S. never has been. And I don't know whether or not uh, the chances uh, in this particular case are better. Anything about this would make it different so that it's possible to actually get something under NAFTA or its, it's new sort of CUSPTA. Um, the successor to nafta but even so even if tc energy were to succeed under nafta all you get is compensation you don't get a permit so the avenues are not great i don't
0: think yeah so so if if tc energy calls you up today uh to 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 join them in the boardroom and lay out a strategy and 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 they (laughs) simply ask you what what can we do uh, if this permit's revoked, I mean, you know, billions of dollars already invested. Obviously, a lot of work done, like physical pipe has been laid uh, in, in different locations here, with much work still to be done, admittedly. What would your advice be? What would you tell them? What would you tell shareholders for TC Energy?
1: And just to make clear, TC Energy has not asked me <laughs> my advice.
0: It's hypothetical.
1: Um, but so, yes, of course, of course. But I have to do the typical lawyer. I'm That's not a lawyer fine. for TC Energy. But, uh, I probably would say, you know, this is a really tough question because what TC Energy really wants is they want the permit, right? They want the right to build their their pipeline. They want the ability to build it. Um, and that is really, it's really difficult to see. There isn't actually any avenue that leads them there directly. The closest thing that you get is probably filing the federal lawsuit. Um, but I think you'd have to ask yourself if you're TC Energy. On the one hand, I think all Canadian uh fossil fuel producers would like to have a federal court case that says that a president does not have the authority to issue or revoke uh, a cross border pipeline permit Uh, because then you you at least know that you have the the regulatory process so that if you do have a president, if you do have an administration, I should say, under which you follow this regulatory process that's in place and you get your permit, it would be very difficult to then revoke it. So I think it, it might be worth it, but then, you know, if you're TC Energy, you have to ask yourself, do I want to be the company that pays for the litigation, that gets the assurance for all Canadian oil producers that, you know, pipelines are no longer subject to the whi- to the whims of a president when it still doesn't necessarily get you your pipeline? Because you'll have to reapply for your permit. You'll have to go through the environmental uh, assessment all over again. It will take years. So... I don't know. There's a there's a lot of really tough choices ahead for TC Energy and for Alberta, I would say. And I don't see any clear path if Biden does revoke the permit to getting Keystone XL built.
0: So is this I mean, is this billion and a half gone? I mean, is that evaporated? And and, and does Alberta have further liabilities? There are all these loan guarantees couple of people have told me you, you'd know even more than them no offense to my sources which are pretty in the know but you'd know more than them Kristen. uh they've explained to me that these loan guarantees alberta may be able to get off the hook there because it may be relating to pipeline construction that was not yet completed but what do we know about alberta's bottom line here the liability here the dollars
1: i have to tell you that i hope that the loan guarantees that are in place did provide some kind of avenue to recompense for Alberta in the case of the pipeline not not being built, because there's no question that when President Trump decided to issue the permit for Keystone XL using an executive order, any lawyer for Alberta and for TC Energy would have said this is great, but be aware that this is something that could be revoked at any time. It could have theoretically been revoked by President Trump if he'd gotten sufficiently angry at TC Energy or Canada for some reason. Right. Um, so I I'm, I think that trying to put billions of dollars down on something like this that could be taken away at any time without any real process, uh, because it's solely within the discretion of the president, I... I, I I hesitate to say for sure what uh, what avenues we have to to not losing the majority of this billion, multi-billion dollar investment that the province has made, but I do hope that loan guarantees were in, in place, understanding that this was always an extraordinarily risky investment.
0: Russell has an interesting question, uh, and I haven't had time to fact check it. You'd know more about what's been built and what hasn't. Uh, Russell's watching live on YouTube this morning. He says, because construction's already started and the cross-border section is built, Uh, Can TC Energy take this to the Supreme Court? I'm not sure if Russell means Canada's or America's Supreme Court, but you might know on either. What do you think? I mean, I guess Canada's Supreme Court has nothing to do with the decision out of the Oval Office. But what do you think?
1: So uh, thank you very much for that question, Russell, and it actually does bring me to one thing that I forgot to mention, which is that another thing that TC Energy could try to claim in order to get compensation for what they've already built, even if they can't get the permit back, uh, is a takings claim under the U.S. Constitution. Um, Under the U.S. Constitution, you can't seize, the government can't seize a person's property uh, without due process and without uh, fair fair market compensation. So um, it might be possible to go to the U.S. Supreme Court under a takings claim to seek uh, compensation for the loss of all of the construction that's already been completed, including the cross-border segment. So that it might be possible to get compensation for it. But again, you can't use a takings claim to get you to the permit itself being reinstated if it's revoked.
0: We always try to wrap up an interview by, by asking uh, the expert, uh, in this case, you, Kristen, to give us something to, to walk with or give us something to think about, to, to hone in on one key point, because, you know, everybody's talking about this today and, you know, there may be some misinformation or some assumptions or or a lay and I'm guilty here too a layperson's interpretation of the story without all the facts. What's the key thing? Do you think moving forward for all the people that are going to say, well, what do we do now? Or where do we go from here, including people in Western Canada that, that work in the energy economy, the, the, the pipeliners and, and the pipe fitters and the welders and everybody else that was hoping to have work on this or was hoping to see this access uh, gained uh, to Tidewater down in Texas? Uh, what's the one thing that we should be focusing on here moving forward?
1: I think we should really be focusing on domestic policy. I think we should be trying to, I know after the Trans Mountain experience, a lot of people feel like trying to build pipelines uh, to get Canadian oil out of Canada via uh, Canadian ports is very tricky, and that's true. But I think that uh, putting more federal money behind domestic projects to get our product out of Canada is probably going to be increasingly important. Um, Because pipeline projects are becoming risky, because of all of the political sort of environment that surrounds them both in the US and Canada, I think that um, Canada is making serious commitments with its much more aggressive carbon tax. And so it has a narrative that it can Sort of deliver to the world about the country's commitment to climate change and to fighting climate change. But at the same time, for for economic reasons, if we want to build these pipelines, we can't be reliant on partners like the United States, because the political situation there is completely unpredictable. And as long as permits are subject to the decisions of a particular president, there's never going to be any certainty behind them
0: tmx is is under construction the expansion of the existing pipeline um energy east you know depending on who you believe uh, uh, you know there may or may not be an appetite to revisit a plan like that moving forward you hear all kinds of theories of of what might uh be astute moves in canada i mean people talk about running pipeline access up to to churchill manitoba and trying to access water there mm-hmm. for access to international markets can you see a new pipeline being built in Canada?
1: That is a really good question. Um, And at the risk of, of trying to make a prediction only to be proven embarrassingly wrong and off base, I think that that's going to have to be, if we're going to see a new pipeline built, it's going to have to be a pipeline built in Canada. And as you said, the TMX expansion is under construction. Um, So I do think that we are going to see at least more proposals for pipelines domestically. I think the focus has to be in the past, getting pipelines built in the US was not nearly this difficult. Um, And we didn't have to worry about provincial politics with Energy East with going through um, provinces like Quebec or Ontario and the political situation there. We didn't used to have to think about those things here in Alberta because we knew we had an energy partner in the United States. But we don't necessarily have that partner anymore. So I think um, it's it's difficult to say whether or not we'll actually get a brand new pipeline built here in Canada. But I think the focus needs to be domestic. That's that's the best chance I think that the industry has. Uh,
0: let me uh, throw you in closing a bit of a curveball because uh, I, I don't know how how I I suspect you'll be able to. To face this pitch. Uh, But I don't know, we didn't ask you to come on and talk about coal. Uh, But one of our listeners here, Sandra, is just wondering if I could ask you if there's any way to stop this coal mining in the Rockies. Do Do you have a take on
1: that? So, with respect to coal mining, I mean, obviously, this is also a big thing. I think that the best way to try to stop it is to make citizen opposition to these projects known. Um, It certainly the provincial legislature has the power to sell coal leases here in Alberta, including in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. But I am just blown away by the the love that Albertans have for their for the province itself. It's so beautiful. It's our greatest asset. Um, And so I think for me anyway, what I'm seeing is citizen participation and letting the UCP know how you feel has probably got the best chance of stopping this uh, before I get started. It's certainly very tricky though. This is a situation where I think there there certainly is the legal power from the province, Um, but citizen pushback, that's got to be the answer, especially since, you know, I think we have a lot of legitimate complaints about this. Um, there was no proper public consultation on going forward with these coal leases. They are very close to the mountains. Uh, there is some local support around the communities for these projects, for the economic impact that they might have, the positive economic impact. But I think overall, if you look at, at this from a province, this doesn't do anything about our revenue shortfall from decreased oil revenues. The revenues that we get from coal leases are nothing. So it's not making us any money. So why why should we go forward with something like this? If it imperils the beauty of our province and the um the 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 sort of delicate nature of our ecosystems the mountain ecosystems why should we do it for something that gives the province so very little
0: i'm, I'm reading some of the comments here you can read them later if you happen to see our our post here on our youtube channel kristen the the, the finished episode but people are just saying we're so you know people are saying i'm just grateful that you were here uh, people are saying <laughs> i've you know terry says you really make this easier to understand uh she must be your colleague, or at least at the University of Calgary in this, uh, Policy School. Dr. Sarah Hastings-Simon says, I am learning yes. so much. She has it in all caps. Uh, we appreciate <laughs> you making sense of this. I know that it, this is a tough pill to swallow for a lot of Albertans, a lot of Canadians, uh, this news. And we appreciate you laying it out for us with regards to what some of the options might be and, and what the future might look like. Thank you for this, Kristen.
1: Thank you very much as well.
0: Kristen Van de Bezenbos is an associate professor at the University of Calgary's Faculty of Law and the Haskane School of Business. Uh, let's take a look at what some of you are saying on our and I'm and I'm just sort of touching down on this, so I've not had a chance to read through. I see there's a lot of uh, conversation and commentary uh, this morning, but I'm I'm curious to know um, how you feel about the news, uh, the news that broke yesterday, the CBC reporting that the Biden administration will kill as one of its first orders of business uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh Ken wonders, I mean, how bad was this investment? He says, you know, TC Energy had had thirty billion dollars in debt capital available, but they weren't using it because of the risk. They weren't taking the risk. Why did we with public money? That from Ken, who may have just answered his own question. Why did we? Well, with public money, right? It's not anybody's money. it's not shareholder money, it's not donor money, it's just everybody's money. Michelle says that whole inquiry that you talked about with with Andrew Leach and Martin Olshinsky, it's it's the definition of narcissism. I mean it's a whole bunch of people getting a whole bunch of cash for for really laughable results, right? I mean it's it's literally if you read the reporting on this it's like 20 25 grand here for this report, 50 grand there for that report. I mean ridiculous. Some random guy says Uh, In talking about the perspective of the White House and the incoming American president, Joe Biden, uh, some random guys, it hurts me. It pains me to say these words because I don't believe them to be true. But in the context of the Oval Office, he says nobody cares about Alberta to pretend that anybody ever gives us the time of day, uh, let alone stage a massive conspiracy against our industry is delusional. I mean, here's one of the things to keep in mind if you want to say that there's been these, these sort of uh, these these uh, foreign uh, these foreign concerted efforts, foreign attacks on Alberta oil. There have been attacks. Uh, there has been work done uh, to combat traditional energy, you know, in other words, oil, including fracking, oil sands, et cetera, expansion of pipelines, et cetera, from groups around the world. Uh, On energy economies around the world if you were to try to make the argument that american oil has not seen foreign campaigns against its expansion you would simply not be paying attention and so some random guy is correct in asserting that alberta is not alone in this uh, is not alone in, in attention being paid from environmental groups and other groups including indigenous groups first nations communities that have said we don't want this expansion here we don't want this pipeline here that's happened. That's people speaking out. I mean, you know, if you have an opinion on how on on pipeline expansion, on oil sands activity, on fracking, you're entitled to your opinion. Does this make this a grand conspiracy against the province of Alberta specifically? I don't think so. Sonny says, can we please label behavior appropriately? Sonny says the Alberta government, the United Conservatives are behaving like they have absolute power to legislate and shape reality heather says vivian kraus didn't do research she did a google search do you want to see vivian kraus on the show um i'm i'm willing to facilitate a conversation or a debate i mean i i i mentioned over the weekend i was i was paying attention as a casual observer by the time this was on my radar, sam did you see this the, the the money that
5: was being raised for yeah because I, I was tagged on this too and i mean i don't I don't program the editorial part of the show, so I just kinda of said like, okay, it's like it's fun seeing this debate happening in the background. Yeah. And, and seeing people wanting this to happen. And and you know, I I kind of agree. I think a an, an actual regulated debate that is based in facts yeah. with Vivian Krauss, where a moderator would actually be empowered to fact check things, would be incredibly powerful to see. Now I don't know if that will happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, here. Uh, you so know. people, so Sandy Garasino, who writes for like National Observer and, and you know, I mean, she's well known on a number of fronts for her career in journalism, has, you know, debunked, uh, or that's how some people would describe it, has debunked Vivian Krause's research. Uh, Vivian's research has been embraced by many, uh, including those sympathetic to or involved in or invested in oil and gas. And so the idea would be that, I guess, Vivian and Sandy could come on the show together and and hash it out and have a conversation i'd be happy to host it um i kind of wonder if it's if it's to be honest if it's old news a little bit um i i'm not sure that that it's relevant to what we're talking about today but uh, i mean if for no other reason than to direct the 2500 that was raised from real talk viewer and again this is not if this is not something we organize i had nothing to do with this i didn't plant the seed i saw it yesterday by the time i saw it yesterday it was at 1500 i see now it's 2500 that people have raised that they'll they'll give they'll donate uh to a charity of vivian Krause's choice if she'll come on the air and and debate i'm saying sandy garasino it, it, could, it could be somebody else as well you can let me know if if that's something that you'd be interested in um you know mark watching in from salt lake city says on the surface vivian Krause's work seemed to have some merit uh but once you dig in even a little bit it completely falls apart um Gilles prefontaine's watching this morning says you know nothing's actually fact checked if my students gave me a report like this one i'd give them a failing grade uh, Gilles, as a matter of fact is talking about the allen inquiry i'm assuming because he says and my students don't get paid three and a half million dollars for their work heather points out that markham hislop with energy news uh has done a great job debunking vivian Krauss's work um troy says we need to stop looking at premier kenny and all of this is a failure And look at them as essentially as a Ponzi scheme says the goal is to fleece as much public money as possible before skipping town. Heather says, let's be honest, this was a chance to fill the pockets of their friends. Uh, Dave, Dave Gray is watching in this morning. He says the Kenny government never consults and makes most of its decisions under the cover of darkness. They think they're the smartest guys in the room, but it's a small room. And he goes on to say something kind of mean that I'm not going to repeat, but you can find it on our comments thread on youtube if you subscribe make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel and ring the bell that's how you know when we're going live marco says politicians in alberta have been in bed with oil companies and they've made bad deals with public money justin says just like the war room this reeks of a way for jason Kenney and the united conservatives to use taxpayer money as a slush fund for whatever they want what a waste justin goes on to say this is cronyism and elitism at its worst lionel says uh this is shady and corrupt he says throw in zealots amateurs and trough feeding and you've got the next two years you get what you pay for chris says jason kenny has a war room for info war and for militias demanding separation what's funny is that it's true sunny wonders anybody consider the delays in the reports or maybe just a distraction from business they're conducting? electoral life says right twitter which is i guess is right wingers on twitter says they're trying to say that rachel notley wanted the project killed keystone XL, but if i remember correctly she pushed hard for kxl and she rightfully criticized the lack of risk analysis from the united conservatives michelle says flying under the radar is by design look into shock doctrine I haven't seen this but michelle says check out a youtube video called coronavirus capitalism this i mean these are just i'm just reading a sort of the, the tip of the iceberg here the um, comments
5: are hot today the comments are
0: hot today oh yeah yeah i mean people showed up this morning we had a good show in store anyway you know talking about the allen inquiry and we were going to talk about obviously we did talk about cole we ch- checked in with kevin van Tegen. it feels like 10 hours ago uh just an hour and a half ago or so no, but that was today yeah <laughs> The, the news that broke over the weekend, this, this Biden news. Now, I'll be honest. I mean, people would say to me, uh, people would stop me and say, hey, do you, think, do you think if Biden wins, do you think he's serious about killing Keystone? And my gut instinct was no. I didn't think so. I just thought, you know, it's, it's under construction. It's important to the relationship between the two countries. It's important
5: economically. I didn't think he was going to do it. See, I'm on the other side of this. I I thought, you know, Obama was not a fan of Keystone. Trump passed it by executive order. Um, Biden campaigned on canceling it. He did. He campaigned on environmental commitments and he campaigned on canceling it. Like, why do we not believe politicians when they campaign on stuff? And then well, we're we surprised exactly when they happens. Well, we know exactly I know that. Why. I know. But it's just like we act surprised that he's acting on a campaign promise.
0: Yeah. Well, I and, and that's the thing is that I think that that politicians have been so willing to break campaign promises in past that I haven't really yeah. brought myself to a position of, of, of believing them when they make promises yeah. on the campaign okay. trail, you know, which is which is really uh, sort of sad for me to take that position. And I'm not saying that I that I think that's a good position. Um, what are you going to say anyway? I mean, you know, we're, we're curious and I know that our, our email inbox is going to get slammed on this. Uh, and this is going to be uh, a big one that we'll continue to talk about. Again, this is our developing coverage here. So so, uh, Kristen, uh, we're grateful that she was able to join us. Uh, Kristen van de Beesenbos. And of course, we'll continue to talk about this in the days and weeks to come. Uh, it reminds me that I should bring up with regards to faith in politicians, we we asked our Real Talk panel, we asked those of you that answer our question of the week each and every week, how we bring or how we restore or how we infuse quality into our politics. And, and a little later on in this week, We're going to review the numbers and we're going to take a look at what you told us and we're committing uh, as a matter of fact We're dedicating our our friday real talk roundtable. So friday at nine o'clock We're going to have a fulsome discussion on this and and we're actually Sam is going to just absolutely loathe me for this, but we're going to be bringing people in and out We're going to be bringing people in and out of the roundtable So there's not just going to be three guests We're going to bring people in for five or ten minutes and we're going to get a bunch of different takes from a bunch of different perspectives Perspectives, and not just in canada on how to restore or infuse or ensure quality we in our politics that. so I, I think that's going to be an important conversation to have T-
5: talk to me off air about setting that up a little bit different but yeah. we can do that oh
0: for yeah sure. don't worry about that the question of the week this week uh again you can access it just go to ryanjesperson.com right at the top bar question of the week we're hoping to get you know at least a few thousand of you to answer this one had about forty five hundred you forty three hundred and fifty one of you answer our question a couple weeks ago Here's our question of the week this week, presented by our official research and strategy partner, Y Station. We're going to see uh, Joseph R. Biden sworn in as the 46th president of the United States on Wednesday. Now, regardless of how you feel about President Donald Trump, he's undoubtedly had a huge impact on the U.S., on Canada-U.S. relations and the office of the presidency. So in this week's get real question of the week, we want to know your thoughts about the two presidents their legacies, their priorities, and the future of Canada-US relations. And so you can answer that by going to RyanJesperson.com. It's right at the top of the page. You can't miss it. Uh, it's our question of the week. I want to get to some of your emails and some of the thoughts you've been passing along. Plus, of course, Kubi Energy's Positive Reflections is coming up. Uh, a reason to put a little jump in your step on this Monday morning. But first, we want to thank the team at Dairy Queen, the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park for their ongoing support of the show. And when we talk about these six, it's important that you support these six in particular because they're independently and locally owned so we're talking about the Dairy Queens and Y Gardens and Baseline Road those are Mike's stores and Mark's stores are in Palisades, Nemo, Newcastle and Westmount right now those six pack of, of Dilly Bars it, it's the only six pack I can hammer into on this dry January six packs of Dilly Bars are two for one right now at these six stores and for Real Talkers only so you pick up two of these six packs you go to the counter you say I'm here for the Real Talk discount they're going to give you a two for one and if you're lactose intolerant or you're avoiding dairy right now keep in mind they have dairy free dilly bars yes dairy free dilly bars at Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park we're also thrilled of course at the support that we see each and every week from the team at Friesen Brothers in less than two months they will be opening their 15th Alberta location That's just off the Anthony Henday on Rabbit Hill Road, and it's a beautiful store. I've had a chance to tour it, Hard Hat, Mask, and all. It's going to change the game on grocery shopping in South Edmonton. Friesen Brothers, for more than 60 years, has been supporting Alberta farmers and producers. It's why they only feature Alberta beef, pork, chicken, turkey, Alberta produce whenever they can. They even use milled Alberta flour in their famous sourdough bread. Pretty amazing stuff. And Eden Landscaping came on board here in January, joining our team of builders in 2021 and we're thrilled they know this is the time of year when you're starting to take a look outside your front yard your backyard and you're realizing you can do better so what are they doing in the midst of this pandemic they're using zoom meetings they're checking out your property with google earth And they're getting you started on plans from projects as small as garden boxes all the way up to those dream home builds. They know you can do better than what the home builders doing for you in your outdoor space. Check them out at landscapeedmonton.ca. And we're thrilled to welcome Eden Landscaping to the fold. I want to get into some of the emails that you've been sending us because there's a ton of them. And uh, we appreciate the fact that you take the time uh, to visit talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's all you need to do with regards to the email inbox. You hit Sam and I up with that. Somebody reached out the other day and said in reaching out to us and they said, hi, Ryan and Sam. This is CJ Ballard. Hey uh, CJ said, I'm not said I hope people say hi to Sam. People do say hi to you.
5: They do quite a bit. Yeah. Emails are usually addressed to both of us. It, uh, it it warms the cockles of my heart.
0: Well, we always want you to feel loved and appreciated, Samuel <laughs> G. Brooks. Uh, this email, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time to get into this, and it's going to take me a minute to read it, but it's important. Um, and so so bear with me here. Uh, this is that big, colorful map that I showed you with the fish populations. You know this one. Um, so CJ reaches out and said, I wanted to reach out to you regarding the coal policy being rescinded. Open Pit Coal Mining on the Eastern Slope says, I, I listened to your interview with Robin Campbell of the Coal Association of Canada, and it's sticking with me. CJ says, I'd, I took a few days to see if I'd calm down, but I haven't. Uh, says, I can't actually introduce myself. Um, so CJ Ballard is, is, is an alias. Uh, said, I'm a consultant in Alberta, and I've worked on all kinds of projects from pipelines to bridges to wastewater treatment plants. I'm an aquatic ecologist, and my focus is on fish. So I apologize in advance because I view everything through a fishy lens. I'm surprised they didn't say a fisheye. That, that could have. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah, would have yeah. been good. Speaking of fisheye, I maybe mean, a camera four. It's been a while since we've had camera four. And there you we go, camera four, just we, for the hell of it. We'd like, we to, we'd like to dedicate this shot to C.J. Ballard. And to everybody else that views life through a fisheye. Uh, CJ says, so I'm a professional biologist. I've got more than 10 years experience. I love what I do. Um, but as a consultant, I end up privy to a lot of information that's not public. And I got to protect my clients. And so it's why I can't write you under my actual name. It is what it is. I have to be able to provide for my family. So, so there's a lot of information on the effects of open pit coal mining. And it is a complex topic. I'm glad that it's been mentioned that this isn't just about grassy mountains. Mountain, in the grassy mountain mine it's about the land On all the eastern slopes That the united conservatives have offered up for mining Without any consultation actually uh, To throw you a bit a bit of a change Up can we i'm using a lot of Baseball metaphors today i don't know
5: i'm, I'm not even That big of a baseball guy i love baseball Opens itself to a lot of good Sports metaphors though. it does it's like baseball Is is like just I, I think it's <laughs> my my theory Is because a baseball game takes so Long the color guys need so much airtime to fill that it has all the best analogies and all the best stats and all the yes. most granular ways of looking at it purely just to fill it. I've
0: time. been watching Queen's Gambit, though. Maybe I could use some chess metaphors. Ooh, but, there you go. but here's my change up. Can you first show me the permits and the maps that I submitted to you earlier? These are not from CJ, but I, I want to give people an idea of what we're talking about here with these coal leases. Now, what's important here is keeping an eye on the dates. And so if you move forward, you're going to see that these permits have been issued. Here's what we're talking about here. L- look up at the top. like We're talking about recent right we're talking about recent issued permits like in december of 2020 and january of 2021 let's take a look at the next one and, and i'm most interested in taking a look at the maps so here you can see the green areas are the protected parklands and the brown areas are where coal leases uh will allow for expansion of open pit coal mining so you can see there how close
5: these are to the protected areas so and you're gonna go camping and have a mine on every side of you
0: yeah and 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 as we know, with regards to what Kevin Van Tigem talked about, which is why it's important for us to be talking about dust and air quality and streams. You know that, and I think there's one more map here. The overlay here. This is really important. So you see there in the bottom, uh, the bottom right hand quadrant there. That's Nordig. That's the beautiful town of Nordig. Uh, Nordig is kind of a gateway uh, to, to the west country. It's it's a wonderful uh, small town. Uh, Great Albertans living there, and a lot of them make their money on tourism. Uh, these are where the coal leases literally surround nordeg and so this gives you a bit of an idea of what we're talking about so back to cj's email says you know this is it's important to note that uh this government is considering opening up water in these basins typically completely allocated uh and closed to additional water licenses in the old man reservoir which is where kevin van tigem spoke to us this morning he drove up to the reservoir to have enough reception to be able to zoom with us cj says there's an existing order it sounds like the province is planning to increase it so you know basically we're talking about the old man watershed council they know better what's going on here but it's not just the quality of water that's going to be impacted by these mines it's the volume as well cj says we need to focus on west slope cutthroat trout and bull trout both of them are native alberta fish in fact the bull trout is alberta's provincial fish Both of them are now listed as Schedule 1 species under the Federal Species at Risk Act. That means that their habitat and residences are protected under legislation, cannot be disturbed or destroyed by law they've been designated as such because the area is considered integral for the recovery of these species and is part of the recovery plan you can see the eastern slopes let's take a look at the map that cj uh, submitted here the eastern slopes is full of critical habitat for these two species and it gives you a sense and the real talk audience a sense of how important the headwaters of the streams are so when we talk about habitat being removed we're talking about it being destroyed This is critical habitat identified as essential for the species recovery. And it's now being destroyed by coal mining says it's important for people to know about this. He goes on to say, I take exception along with other guests of yours with Mr. Campbell stating that selenium is just salt. And we had that debunked late last week. So selenium is an important micronutrient. In other words, cells need it in small concentrations. But as soon as you go over that concentration, it becomes toxic And primary producers feed invertebrates, which feed fish, which feed waterfowl. So through bioaccumulation, the higher up the food chain you get, the more concentrated the selenium becomes. And now it's Ryan talking. I probably don't have to talk to you about who eats the fish, right? That's us. So selenium is also passed on to the eggs of birds and fish. And the toxicity is not expressed until larvae hatch. This can have devastating effects on population, as you can imagine, if entire age classes are wiped out year upon year. Says another thing to remember is we're talking about flowing waterways. In many cases, this can make things even worse. So selenium that washes downstream into rivers and other tributaries affecting organisms that aren't even close proximity to the mine itself. In other words, don't allow yourself to be gaslit or tricked by taking a look at maps that say it's way over here. I saw somebody the other day, you know, because, you know, Crescent Falls, if you're like my family and you love visiting, hiking into or camping near Crescent Falls, you know what a wonderful and beautiful area it's been. Have you ever been to Crescent Falls? Many, many
5: times. Wonderful, wonderful environmental. It is is one of the like, I I feel like. You know, if you're kind of in that that sort of like uh, Nordegg area, uh, heading a little bit into that big swath of crown land, all going into the mountain parks there, like Crescent Falls is sort of the gateway that welcomes you into it. You know, you stop at Crescent Falls first. Yeah. a beautiful camp. Have a nice
4: lunch there. there. Exactly.
0: Have a little
5: fire there in oh, the fire yeah. pits.
0: So people are saying, you know, oh, you, you know, this is ridiculous. People say it's not anywhere near Crescent Falls. Well, it is. But if you talk about the downstream impacts here, it's important to consider that these open pit mines don't have to be right next door to your campground, or they don't have to be right next door to your watershed for it to ultimately have an impact there. Uh, CJ goes on to say selenium can settle out in sediment at the bottom of a water body, but once it becomes resuspended, the toxic effects take off again. Says on the, the topic of, of the bottoms of water bodies, it's likely that some of these coal mines will clean their coal. In other words, they'll wash it, crush it and sort it on site. Says this requires the addition of various chemicals that increase the toxicity of water, which is hazardous on its own. It's very problematic for fish like bull trout and West Slope cutthroat trout that construct reds like a fish nest for their eggs. They dig it with their tails and they lay their eggs in that depression. So what are you doing? You're kicking up that sediment again. You're making it toxic. Says this makes red construction impossible because everything can become cemented together. Now, he goes on to say that when Mr. Campbell stated that Asia is sourcing its coal from countries that don't have the same human rights standards as Canada, that's only half the story, says C.J., We have science. It's very clear. Papers have been published in in China and India, Brazil, the US, Europe, and right here in Canada, demonstrating the devastating effects of open pit coal mining. There are no proven or effective reclamation strategies. We've heard that from a number of scientists on the show. He says, I'm not arguing that human rights aren't important. They are. At this point, we know better. We know that open pit coal mining is devastating to an ecosystem says it's unlikely that Asia would stop buying all coal from Russia and rely exclusively on Alberta. And I'm not sure how destroying the environment in Canada offsets human rights violations in Russia. That's a great point. He says, you know, suddenly there's no self-reporting happening here. There's zero accountability while this order was in effect. And now there are gaps on the record. You remember the suspension in reporting announced by Environment and Parks Minister Jason Nixon through the uh, pandemic saying that was adding onerous strain on corporations to have to report this and self-monitor he says now apparently minister nixon indicated it was done to ease the reporting burden for industries coping with the pandemic but the cynic in me wonders what the ucp was hiding that merited suspending environmental reporting for that period that said if ministerial orders can effectively eliminate accountability and monitoring Along with a government intent on cutting red tape, what happens to that strong provincial legislation that's protecting the environment around all these coal mines? CJ says, Now I will note that this is just a discussion on aquatic concerns. It doesn't take wildlife or wetlands or even really people into consideration. Those are outside my area of expertise, says CJ, so I can't really speak to it, but there are serious issues there as well. Anyway, cj says i don't know if it adds anything to the conversation but there you go well cj it certainly has and we appreciate that and thank you for your time dan took the time to send us an email over the weekend as a matter of fact on friday uh as we had gone off air and and he says i'd like to point out says dan uh who chimes in from rural alberta thanks to the current government uh thanks to the current government rural alberta is more united than ever before united in our collective dissatisfaction with jason kenney and the united conservatives he wonders is it feasible to call an election sometime this year if not one way to get support back would be to reinstate the protections of the mountains and foothills that were removed last year nobody i talked to says daniel is happy about the new coal mines what about this from michael Michael says, I'm a new listener in the last week or so, and I wanted to let you know I'm really enjoying the show. I appreciate you bringing the coal mining issue to the forefront. Says, not only am I an avid outdoorsman who loves our eastern slopes, but I also work in the environmental field, primarily focused on water resources, biology, and climate change. In fact, I spent a field season down in the Crows Nest Pass working on watershed hydrology. So this is a guy that knows what he's talking about. Says, the last few months I've had a sense of despair. That these minds were proceeding with little to no opposition and it's been a hard pill to swallow, but it's giving me new hope seeing the groundswell of opposition build as the general public becomes aware of this issue over the last couple of weeks. Michael says it, it honestly makes me sick that the province is trying to do this, you know, rescinding the coal policy in such a sneaky manner with no public engagement. And I'm grateful to see the majority of the people becoming aware of these mines, becoming opposed to them. In fact, says Michael, from what I see online and from what I hear in conversations with people, the opposition to the mining dwarfs any support for it among the public. He says, it's obvious to me, the government's acting in bad faith and not in the interests of Albertans. It can be difficult to watch. And I'm grateful that you're giving a voice to citizens to speak up, to protect the things we treasure. Michael says a huge part of who I am and how I identify as an Albertan is the connection I have with our foothills and our mountains. Me too, Michael. He says our wildlife and our water. And I'd be absolutely devastated if we destroy all of that for what appears to be short sighted and minimal economic gain. He says, so thank you for this. We need to stop this in its tracks before permanent and irreparable damage is done he says i'll continue to suggest your show to friends and family that from michael and we thank you for that i wanted to read this from jackie and i know that let me let me just say that this might be bad tv me on camera just reading emails but you saw how many we received over the weekend like it's worth pointing out we received over 700 emails i did anyway from friday until this morning 700 i've picked five or six So I want to do justice. This show reflects what you care about. This is your show in the sense that we want you to have a big part in the editorial direction. We don't ask you to email us and then not read your emails on the air. It wouldn't make any sense. Jackie, the subject line says, I oppose strip mining in the eastern slopes. Jackie out of Stony Plain, Alberta. Good morning to Stony Plain, where my grandpa was born and raised. Says I'm writing to tell you how much I oppose strip mining in the Crow's Nest Pass. I'm horrified that coal policies that Peter Laheed created 45 years ago, after six years of public consultation in the interest of our watersheds and the future generations of our beautiful eastern slopes, has been rescinded with no public consultation by the current government. It's unacceptable. Jackie, who has cc'd uh, her MLA, says I've never written. A politician before but this move has me feeling like i have to do and say something i am concerned for the critical watersheds the amount of water use that strip mining will require the toxic selenium will without a doubt leach into watersheds it puts our water security at risk why is this acceptable we know better jackie says this area is a crown jewel Of Alberta and should be kept in its natural state and promoted as a tourism and recreation destination for all to enjoy one thing we've seen over the past few years, and especially 2020 is that we cannot afford to lose the precious recreational areas that we have to let Australian companies come into these critical areas is unacceptable. And for this low 1% royalty, it's unbelievable. I also doubt the promise of an abundance of jobs. The old adage that one full time job mining creates three offshoot jobs, that's outdated, says Jackie. We know mining is moving more and more toward autonomous equipment. These mountains should be left intact. They create our water supply, they guard our water supply, and they are sacred. That from Jackie. And I wanted to read this as well. This from Sean, who says Ryan, I'm 34. Sean's right in the sweet spot of where 80% of our audience is between 34 and 54. So Sean's a young in here on real talk. He says, I've really only been paying attention to politics since about 2012. (laughs) That was a hell of a time to get involved, wasn't it? That was that was Danielle Smith, Wild Rose Party, Lake of Fire. Uh, That was a a dramatic provincial election. If you started paying attention in 2012, uh, you know, Sean says my dad was a teacher. So I do remember cuts to education, of course, during the Klein era. I do remember the teacher strike in 2001, but that's about the extent of my knowledge prior to 2012. He says, I, I'll be honest, I disagree with pretty much everything our current government's doing, but I do want to understand both sides of every story. He says, that's one of the things I love about Real Talk. He says, I'm sure there are some good things that Jason Kenney and the United Conservatives are doing, or the, the decisions that they're making are good for some people on some level. But, he asks, and I want to put this out to our audience, is Premier Kenney and the UCP significantly worse than than the previous 40 years of conservative governments or is Alberta going in a direction that's worse than we were with previous governments is it more just that I'm paying closer attention now that from Sean that's a good question I like that question is this government worse or is he just paying closer attention the answer is that this government's worse but you can let me know if you disagree I want to take this (laughs) chance to remind you a little a little sass on this monday morning but but i'm not i'm not wrong you're not wrong i'm not wrong i mean it's uh i mean we could go on for, just just for hours and hours back
5: to 2012 you know what
0: as a matter of fact there is there is another email here that i could read that would kind of it would kind of you know what let me let me read this from david before i you know what i'm going to do let's recognize clean air club i'm going to read an email from david and then we're going to hard transition into something we've been looking forward to all morning the team at clean air club uh, we looked to them and said in this new studio a small studio you know we're under 200 square feet we said we want to make sure the air is circulating here as best we can we want to make sure that it's as healthy as possible with regards to the air we breathe they said we got a solution for you and we've got a solution for the real talkers at home and it all comes down to furnace filters when's the last time you changed yours if you're like the rest of us it's something you probably forget about it's something that flies under the radar you probably go yeah no i changed it a little while ago but if you actually looked at it it was like six months or eight months ago pull it out take a look oh that's what your air is running through, going through all your vents. Cleanairclub.ca is where you sign up. They're going to drop off furnace filters for you, replacement filters. They make it easier than ever before. You save money and you breathe easier with Clean Air Club. You can find more about what they do under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you will find the team at Alta Moving and Storage. They are the masters of the, the of taking the stress and the pressure off your move. If 2021 involves a move for you, maybe you're downsizing or maybe you've got that dream home. Maybe The, the, the market lulled a little bit. It, it flattened out a little bit and all of a sudden that dream home is no longer just a dream. But you know moving is going to be a pain in the butt. They're experts at making sure that your strategy on the move fits your reality in other words support where you need it so the pod style containers they drop them off you need movers they can supply them you want to do it yourself that's cool too they have the frog boxes to make it an eco-friendly move they replace the cardboard moving boxes and of course if you're looking for short or long-term storage you'll find it there as well alta moving and storage locally owned and you can find more at altastorage.ca let me get to this email from david this is a good one we got this over the weekend David says, uh, and by the way, he writes this to Premier Jason Kenney. It's an open letter, and he's CC'd us. Please continue to CC. Talk at RyanJesperson.com on all of your government correspondence, on all of your emails to your city councillors, your town councillors, your mayors, Reeves, members of the Legislative Assembly, the MLA's
5: ministers, the premier, and the federal government. What's up? I was going to say, who else gets this kind of real-time insight in people's public engagement? That's it's Nobody, it's, it's, yeah, when I was at... I, I used to work at a radio station, Sam. I'm not sure I, if you I've know that. that. Yeah, and I worked at a TV station before
0: that, and nobody CC'd the radio station on their emails to the premier. Like, it just didn't happen. But there's something special happening here with Real Talk, and we know that. Uh, it's obvious, and everybody's talking about it. By the way, if you missed my appearance on the CBC West of Center podcast hosted by Kathleen Petty, I encourage you to check that out. We had great. A great. Did you hear it? Oh, you were sitting I, I was, in here while I, I was recording I sat in it. on the
5: recording, yeah. and then I listened to it while I was cooking. And yesterday. I thought that they were fair because they
0: edited it we went for over an hour and they had to cut it down to fit their time. And I thought that they were fair in representing our perspective. So I appreciate that. Uh, So David CC'd us on his email to the premier. The the subject line simply reads deep dissatisfaction. Sounds like an album. Um, (laughs) He says it's with the deepest sense, uh, Mr. Premier of betrayal, anger, frustration, fear, uncertainty, and disappointment that I write you today. Following the usurping of teachers' pensions this week, another betrayal of your assurances of trustworthiness, I find myself wondering about my future. Not only my future as an educator, a job that the entire focus of my professional life, you know, that 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 is essential to a vibrant and competitive society, but also my future as an Albertan. I find myself reevaluating my desire to finish my career in Alberta. And my future not only with the alberta teachers retirement fund but canada pension plan as well both of them under attack by your self-serving policies i find myself thinking about the impoverished curriculum that my children will endure following your regressive reformatting of the learning content i find myself anxious about your cutthroat attitude in managing our healthcare system i'm not convinced the system uh, is the future in which one i want to seek treatment i find myself questioning my future property value as the allure of living in Edmonton is callously attacked by your ideological policies targeting essential services like healthcare, education, the arts, and academics, a primary source of influx for Edmonton's population. I find myself concerned for my parents whose condo fees have gone up 350% in two years because of your mismanagement of insurance caps. I find myself wondering about taxation and how you'll recuperate tax giveaways you've offered to large corporations that leave industrial graveyards. For our children to clean up. I find myself concerned by the 911 dispatch disaster you've created. I find myself frustrated by those who impose restrictions being held to a lower standard of behavior than I am. I find myself worrying about the impending open pit mining operation that'll contaminate water following your irresponsible repealing of our coal policy. I find myself worrying about deforestation, water contamination, poor species management and climate change as you continually disregard science. I find myself focused on my pregnant wife's health as you flounder in your pandemic response and fail to deliver clear and decisive action. I find myself preoccupied as you continue to waste money on divisive politics, climate court cases and referendums and your war room and forego essential services to do it. And I find myself disappointed in your closeness to MAGA culture. Make America great again. Mr. Premier, I'm deeply distraught to wake up each morning and read the news to see how much more ground I've lost in the night to your political subterfuge. And I know that this may, you may see this place as a quick buck Alberta, that is, and a ticket back to Ottawa, but some of us have lived here our entire lives and we're now thinking we cannot afford to continue doing so because of you furiously yours david karan david thanks for including us in that so that kind of answers the previous email i thought in a way and it's worth our consideration so where do we go from here well citizen action is big sounding the alarm is big signing petitions where you see them is big pressuring your local elected officials writing the premier is one thing and you question whether or not he'll consider it and listen to it and have the humility to walk back harmful policies But contacting your MLA directly, most especially if they're a United Conservative MLA, is important because they need to understand how their constituents feel, how you feel about the policies that are being put into place. To suggest that there's been a lack of trust would be an understatement of the year to this point. But politicians worry about their own political futures. And I would suggest that there's probably rumbling within the party itself, the caucus wondering what the next election and the two years before it might look like so do not be shy and do not be quiet and if you're looking for a little jump in your step reason for optimism and a reminder that still everything's all right we want to thank our friends at kubi energy for sponsoring positive reflections every Monday now Kubi Energy is in the solar game you know that as a matter of fact they are a Tesla certified solar installation company locally owned and operated based out of Edmonton with a BC office in Kamloops now they're installing solar systems for customers using certified electricians that's BC and Alberta certified tradespeople. so you know that your solar system you don't want your uncle installing it in between sips of rum and eggnog you want to make sure your house isn't going to start on fire it. To the pros at Kubi Energy. As mentioned, they take care of 100% of the process installing your solar system from permitting to grants, including that $4,000 the city of Edmonton will pay you to install a residential system. Kuby Energy has it handled. You can check them out online at kubienergy.ca. That's K U B Y energy.ca. Or you can give them a call at 780 340 5829. That's 780 340 Of course, Kubi Energy is the proud presenter each and every week of Positive Reflections. So this is how we kick off our week on the right foot. Yeah, the pipeline's probably going to get pulled by President Biden. Yeah, the provincial government plans to lop off the top of our mountains to make way for coal mining. And yeah, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. But check this out. Greg Monsma. Who's a good friend of this show sent along this video of nala nala the dog has learned to open doors and uh well is even ramping it up further learning to play music check this out that's right nala the german shepherd has learned to play the piano and sing and we love that video greg thanks for passing it along I also wanted to pass along this Uh, Check this out Board games have been big For a lot of folks Through the course of this pandemic And Ilya has reached out to the show And said here's a picture That represents exactly Our pandemic experience Ilya says my fiance and I Decided to embrace our passion For board games And we started a website And a YouTube Where we take a look And we share games In hopes of inspiring more people To come together And play board games And it's been so refreshing refreshing to dive into our passions it's a positive pandemic story I also wanted to read this from Leanne Leanne took the time to send us an email and she said you know after suffering undiagnosed with Uh, BPD says, I don't know how much your listeners are going to know about this, but basically it's been a real challenge for me since I was a teenager. I was off work for three years. I've been through suffering and testing and delays, but I'm so happy to announce to the real talkers out there that I'm going back to work on March 1st, COVID willing. Leanne says, there's been challenges, but I have so many awesome plans and goals, including, but not limited to producing true crime videos, and maybe even streaming my gaming, which is something I've wanted to do for ages, but I've been just too sick. I'll tell you, says Leanne, having time off sure gives one a lot of time to do research, including learning how to better ourselves. 2020 was a hard year for everybody but it gave me my life back it was a year of recovery for me and i'm coming out of 2020 a better person than i was going in thank you to kubi energy for positive reflections thank you for real talk we need this sunshine that from leanne and finally on the subject of friendship and reconciliation i talked last week about blocking people on Twitter, whether or not it's appropriate for politicians to block people, whether or not it's appropriate for public people like myself to block people on Twitter. Well, I got an email from Mike and Mike says, Ryan, I'm watching your show where you're talking about blocking people. And you told producer Sam that you had about 600 people blocked on Twitter. He says, I am fortunately and one of those 600. He says, I believe it happened after I tweeted this. He says for context someone had been talking about a former colleague of yours danielle smith and her claims about hydroxychloroquine as a cure to COVID. he says well i tweeted i don't get how a quality guy like you can co-host election specials with her and after that i was blocked he says now i unnecessarily and recklessly brought you into a subject to try to sow division between you and a colleague during the onset of a pandemic when there was great uncertainty He says, I unreservedly apologize for such a low blow on a public forum. He says, I appreciate the way you're able to facilitate discussions. Now, let's have some real talk. The real talk is, is that I think I was a little touchy on that. The real talk is, I think I was a little oversensitive on that. The real talk is maybe I was having a bad day and... And maybe I blocked Michael when he didn't deserve it. So I'm just happy to tell you here on Positive Reflections that Mike and I over the weekend reconciled and we're buddies again on Twitter. And good things are happening here as Real Talkers come together each and every weekday morning. Mike, thanks for reaching out. I'm glad to reconnect with you. Thanks to everybody who sends us your positive reflections through the week at talk at RyanJesperson.com. We know it's a tough Monday with news about the pipeline and everything else. Some of you may be celebrating it. We want to hear from both of you. And we'll be back at it tomorrow morning, Tuesday, right here on Real Talk at 830 Mountain Time. We'll talk to you then.